welcome back to the I'm There podcast. I'm your host, Freyway. And uh, yeah, I'm here with my amazing co-host, Kenny. Awarida. And we are here to talk about a couple things. We have some listener letters to get through. Uh, there are quite a number of them that have been sitting in the inbox for a while. And so I wanted to take this opportunity to empty the mailbox out. So this is kind of a mailbox episode. We love these because the conversations go all over the place, depending on what you guys write. And then yes, they do. We want to talk about Oda's work from uh, 30 years ago. He wrote mm. a manga in 1994, two years, or 1992 maybe? It was two I years. I think it was 94. Yeah, two years before One Piece, uh, he wrote a manga. And it actually focuses around a character who's in the One Piece universe, Ryuma. So it's kind of cool because Zoro ends up getting, spoilers for One Piece, Zoro ends up getting this guy's sword. And you never knew who the real person was, like what he was like when he was alive, because he's from hundreds of years ago, apparently. And he's also confirmed. I don't think they I don't know if they confirm it in the story. They might confirm it in Wano. I don't remember. I got to reread Wano. I've only gone all the way through Wano once so far, but it is 100 percent confirmed in a SBS. The uh, essentially Q&A at the end of the volumes of One Piece that Zoro is a descendant of uh, Ryuma. Yeah, which no one is surprised about, honestly. Like, yeah. it's it's very blatant. Uh, even when you see the way the character is drawn, when the character looks, he he kind of has a Zoro feel to him, I would say. He has a Zoro kind of honor to him, for sure. He definitely follows like an honor code. Uh, he's very good with women in terms of just like wanting to protect them, wanting to avenge them and all that stuff. So... I like the character. What's the name of this actual series? It's called like Monster 103 or something. Yeah. So what it's called on Netflix is like, I don't know. It's like 103 Merceries. It's like M-E-R-C-I-E-S or something like that. Yeah. Um, And then it's like 103 Merceries, the Dragon's Damnation, I think is what it's called on Netflix. I've always known it as just Monster from what I remember. Okay. Um, I've read this back when One Piece Back when I first got on the One Piece, which was like 2010 or 2012, somewhere around there, when I first got on the One Piece and I got like after I got current, which was at the time Fishman Island, I got current and I was just like so obsessed with it. And I ended up consuming so much and looking up so much stuff about One Piece and like the old works and his previous works of One Piece, his previous iterations. Like he's done multiple one shots of kind of like chapter one of One Piece. There's actually in a weird way, like three different chapter ones of One Piece um, that were done but and before we get the real chapter one that leads into what One Piece is right now. Uh, and then other various other things. And so Monster was one of the things he wrote. And um, yeah, it's just fucking really cool. Yeah, it, it premiered on Netflix. It premiered on Netflix a couple of weeks ago. I watched it randomly on like a Sunday night or something. And two of my friends had messaged me. They were like, yo, you got to watch this new show on Netflix. What's interesting is that Kenny and I have been talking about this. So I'm looking it up now. It's called Monsters 103 Mercy's Dragon Damnation. The name is a rant. Um, But two of my friends messaged me separately and they both were saying the same thing. They were like, you have to watch this. It's so cool, especially the ending. Make sure you watch all of it, including the end credits. So I'm like, okay, I'll watch it because you guys are both saying it and you it's not like a group chat. Like they were saying it independently. So once too many people in my friend group started saying the same thing, I'm like, all right, FOMO. Obviously, I don't want to miss out on something, so I'm (laughs) going to watch it. Uh, I turned it on and in the first like two frames, I was like, oh, this is the thing that me and Kenny already said we were going to watch anyway. This is from Oda. The artwork, as soon as you see it, it looks like One Piece. It has the One Piece art style, basically. I mean, it is like slightly different, but it it has the One Piece art style. You could you could tell that it's Oda's work. Yeah, definitely. You know, the artists have a way their pen hits the paper. Like if you see something, you can go, "Oh, that's Toriyama." Yes, like, you can see artwork and you know that it's drawn by the guy that drew Dragon Ball. 
And the same thing with One Piece. Yeah. So the characters in this, the way the uh, the landscape looks for a lot of the things, it looks like One Piece. And it starts off with like uh, this story about a town that was destroyed years ago by a dragon. And this one master swordsman named Shirano, I think is his name. Uh, yeah. He like saved everyone kind of. Well, not really saved everyone, but a lot of people died in this tragic ambush accident thing by this dragon that came from a horn being blown. And he and his girl. So he saves this little girl. She's the sole survivor of the village that was completely destroyed by the dragon. But he apparently like, you know, repelled the dragon or whatever. It was a really hard fight. And yeah, he's this master swordsman that's revered. He looks so this is the interesting part. This guy looks kind of like Mihawk from One mm-hmm. Piece. He looks like the Shichibukai. I don't know if there is something going on there because it would be so interesting if this guy is a um, an ancestor to Mihawk and we know that Zoro is a descendant of Ryuma. And Ryuma yeah. and Shirano end up having a couple run-ins with each other. In the very beginning, uh, Ryuma gets thrown out of like a tavern. And then, you know, he the one girl who's the sole survivor of that that town that was destroyed by the dragon, she brings him in and tells him, like, you know, don't don't cause a scene, don't be so rowdy and stuff like that. And she told, you know, he ends up hearing about the story of the guy Shirano. And there's a random part where they their scabbards like touch each other. Yeah, and he's like, oh, if our scabbards touch, we must fight to the death. Yeah. Ryoma is just, he's a rant. He's such a funny, fun kid. Like, he he just, it's so funny because we only know Ryoma at the end, like, you know, his post-life. Because we, yeah. we all know him from One Piece. Even though this existed, like, anybody could read this before reading One Piece. But what you, 90%, I've actually seen some comments. I was, like, looking at some stuff. There's a bunch of people that watched this that didn't know it was related to One Piece at all. And so when you watch it, there's a big reveal at the end credits. And so there's a, I saw a bunch of comments of people saying like, I just randomly watched this on Netflix because like it was there. Yeah. And I had no idea it was related to one piece, which by the way, I think it's a little crazy based on what Fraser said earlier. Cause like the art looks like, one it just piece. looks like one piece, <laughs> but that aside they get. And also it's like, like if you watch this and you didn't know it was related to one piece, like how could you get turned on and be like, not immediately go like, Oh, he stole Zoro. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, cause the guys are anyway, but when you get to the end, blah, 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 people were like, holy shit. Cause there's a, you know, a reveal at the end, um, that directly ties to the one, but Ryoma is the point I was getting to is he's like kind of stern. Like he's not, he's like real, like dignified almost when we meet his zombie in thriller bark. Yeah. He's and in this, he's, than- he's a, a lot goofy. Yes, he's a lot goofier. He's younger, very, you know, the one that you do see in in the One Piece anime and the manga and everything is way different. Like you said, he has this maturity level to him, this seriousness more. It's like he's very serious in One Piece, but I feel Mm -hmm. like in this, when you see him alive, not, you know, a zombie or whatever, um, he's just he's just funny. Like he's just a funny young guy who's willing to fight people. Even if he doesn't know if he can win or not, like he just believes that his swordsmanship is good enough. And yeah, he touches scabbards with, uh, with Shirano, who's considered like the master swordsman of the time. He's basically considered the Mihawk. And I don't really know how true any of that is judging on how everything went, but, (laughs) but like, you know, Ryuma challenges him and there's this part where they kind of have like a slight clash, but the Shirano God does it at the time. It seems like he gets the best of them. Like, it seems like he does best in Ryuma and that little skirmish they have. But Ryuma does end up cutting a bronze statue clean in half. Mm. 
And, and the shopkeep kind of notes it. He's like, how the fuck did that happen? Yeah, he's like, I thought, that, I thought that this couldn't be cut by, you know, steel or whatever. And clearly, uh, Ryuma, you know, just one-shotted a bronze statue. No no problem. So it's already like some, okay, maybe he's holding back. Maybe he's actually stronger than he's putting out, which is, you know, at the end of it, you could tell us the case because he fucking one-shots the guy. But it ends up being this whole anime about, um, like, this... this, this this little crime syndicate, this group of thieves, this these two thieves who are basically con men, and they go around to towns and they they have this dragon horn. One of them pretends to blow the dragon horn and tells everybody that you need to evacuate, essentially, like causes a mass panic. So everyone evacuates the town, leaving all their belongings behind. And the other one pretends to be the savior of all the people and make sure that, like, I'm here. I'm going to help you guys to, like, you know, not die. I'll, I'll repel the dragon. So just run away, run far away, leave your things behind. You can't take them with you. It'll slow you down. Leave your shit. I'll protect everybody. I'm the master swordsman. I did this before. Uh, and when mm-hmm. everybody leaves, these two fucking loot all of the gold and the, the riches that the townspeople had. Or not even the riches, but I guess when you put it all together, to two for two people to have an entire town's worth of possessions, it is riches. Oh my god. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's like it's it's not fair. It's two literally two people. Like yeah. could you imagine if you got all of Philadelphia like, all stuff? Of the belongings? Or even in my yeah, zip code. Each, yeah, just your zip code. Like if you got all your belongings of your fucking zip code, like what even my street, hell? even just honestly, Kenny, even <laughs> yeah. just my street or your block, like your the square block. Yeah, like, that, yeah your street, like, yeah, it's imagine so much. getting it's all so the possessions much. of every single place on the street. So they've been doing this little con for a while. They've gotten away with it like 10 years ago. And it's really interesting how it all plays out because they, sh- they end up showing it in the very beginning with the little girl being saved by this great swordsman and they frame it one way. They show it again at the end, towards the end, when it's revealed that Shravano is actually a con man and he's responsible for what happened, you know, 10 years ago. He actually slaughtered the people of the town um, to hide what really went down and the little girl who he saved she was one of the only survivors her father was under some rubble so she's like please help me my parents are under a building over there and like they're you know they're doing really bad so he gets he picks up the girl and the other guy his 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 co-cohort dude is like yo like you know fucking kill her you know like fucking kill this girl so Toronto for whatever reason doesn't do it and he takes the girl over to where her parent is and the guy is stuck under a pile of rubble like he's like oh please save me like I'm so glad you're here Toronto pulls out his fucking sword and, and while the just, guy, he just fucking kills him and this is what he just skewers him this is what's crazy about One Piece is that for what One Piece looks like when you look at the artwork sometimes it can look very childish in a way but the themes, the subject matter of One Piece never is. Like, it gets, it gets very, dark quick. Yes. Like, it looks lighthearted. When you, this is a very colorful um, anime. Like, when you watch this, it's very bright. There's a lot of, for this to be a, a place where samurais exist and everything like that, there are a lot of bright colors and stuff. Like, it's very, yeah. very uh, colorful, vibrant, saturated, all that. But the themes, and even in this scene that I'm talking about where they show, you know, the, the girl's father under the rubble. You know, that scene is dark, right? Because the, the whole town has just gotten inflamed and everything. Uh, but yeah, he pulls out his sword and just kills the guy who's begging for help under... Like, the guy probably... He probably wasn't going to live anyway. I assume his legs or something were going to be crushed and... He probably could have lived if he got carried out. You know what I maybe. mean? Like, he might have lost his legs, but he probably could have lived. Maybe. But Serrano also... just came up in there and he yeah. just skewered him through his face. Also, it's interesting. This is, if you're familiar with One Piece... 
this is kind of it shows you evidence of Oda's writing style, even you know in 1994, where he's he sets up a premise, he sets up a town, a, a, a an area that you're going to experience the story in, and he he puts your expectations where they're at, and then he does something crazy in a flashback. Like he he does a flashback, and then the flashback kind of reveals like I don't know. He recontextualizes everything because you like again, it starts off with this positive kind of positive image of Shirano saving all these people and this one girl survivor then they reframe it and you see that he was the reason why all these people died like they're like oh thank god you're here to save us he's like actually none of you are going to live now because this ambush needs to be kept a secret forever so he licks it like he does this nasty like snake-like lick with his tongue like his tongue is all snake-like he fucking licks his tongue out and then it just kind of does you hear the sounds of people screaming and the sounds of blades cutting through flesh yeah, and then he killed like up. all of his subordinates. Like he was apparently like the head of some swordsman company. Yeah, like, I think he killed all of his subordinates. Like he's definitely an absurdly talented swordsman. Yes, they make that clear. Um, but he ends up not being the best. Uh, something else that's cool is like early on in that clash after, and then like when Ryoma talks to the barkeep, he's just like, "Yeah, I mean, Toronto's the best swordsman, second to only the king." Yes, and they keep talking talking about the king like the, the, the king's the only one that's that is better than shirano and ryoma's like oh wow like the king like he must be really cool like he must have a swordsman honor and he's talking about it and then at the end something kind of cool happens we, we'll jump to that in a little bit if you want to talk a, a bit more about what happens yeah i mean after after they they start um laughing about getting all the townspeople out and, and having all their possessions and talking about how long they're going to be able to live off of stealing from these people the girl and they revealed to his <laughs> You said the slither tongue. He's like, yeah, like like, his tongue is like slithering in the air. He's like, I'm the best. (laughs) They go from looking like, well, not Dave. The one guy looks like he's from Thriller Bark, but Toronto at least looks like Mihawk. So he looks like an actual honorable swordsman type of guy. I didn't. I honestly, when I was watching this, because this is my first um, interaction with this story, I never even knew anything about it. So watching this, I was not prepared for the plot twist. It caught me mm-hmm. full off guard. Like I had no idea that this guy was going to be a comment that he was actually basically a villain, an evil guy. Uh, I mean, yeah, I guess he would be considered a villain for sure. Cause he killed a bunch of people to just, just oh, get yeah. a bunch of money. So he's definitely villainous. Yeah, I mean, they set up, they called a fucking dragon. Yeah. Like actually to town. Too. Like, actually, yeah, like they actually brought a dragon to a town. That's going to compl- like, not only are they going to steal all these people's possessions, the dragon might kill some people, but they, they were to get everybody out. Um, might kill some people in the process, but also is going to ruin the real estate of that entire town. Yeah. Like he's ruining the lives of an entire town of people. Yep, just to be rich for the next like ten or so years. It's really ignorant. Uh, but yeah, the entire concept is the girl who was rescued, who thought that Sharana was this great man and all this stuff, and she has this high praise for him, and she takes his side in every argument and will never speak ill of him. She ends up overhearing him and his cohort talk about what they did years ago and what they did this time and it breaks her and there's this yeah. one scene it reminds me of like you know robin and 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 nami with luffy where she starts crying and like this she starts wailing like full-on fucking wailing so loud to the point where i thought that they Shirano and his cohort might hear her because she got mm-hmm. like really really loud and even the camera kind of pans out a little bit while they're in the tavern um, but she's she's like on her knees screaming crying because she's just so distraught her whole life is a lie kind of like she yeah believed, she's broken she believed that this man 
saved everyone that he could, or I should say saved her and tried to save everyone that he could, but was unsuccessful and he lives with all this regret, but he's this fantastic swordsman who repelled this dragon. And basically, so her whole life is a lie. And when she finds out the truth, she's just like crying to Ryuma. And when he hears her wails, he fucking immediately runs out that building and fucking goes on top of the roof. He runs past the roof, jumps down, does a a fucking cool ass roll like this roll that he does. Yes. It's so sick. Because when she first finds out, Ryoma like asks if she's okay because they're outside. And she's like, I'm fine. And like she gets up and walks away and she like puts on a brave face. And when she puts herself inside that room in the tavern and she shuts the door, like you said, she breaks and she yeah. falls to her knees and she's crying. And then they show the camera. I love like the the perspective they give, but they use like the wall of the building as like a split. And then you see her on one side of the door crying and he Ryoma standing on the back, like listening to her. And then he goes off and he the animation on the scene where he's running. I know the exact role you're talking yes. about when he it's hits so, the ground and he rolls. So and, cool. he's, and he's dude, he's like he's going there to put a fucking because he's like he's about to put some problems in place. Like it's it's going to be so fucking good. And he runs up in there and it's cool because now we get to see them go at it. Like before they had like a little interaction in the tavern. And like you said, you could get the feeling that obviously this guy, everybody says he's a master swordsman, but. This guy, Ryoma, he clearly, from what we can see, maybe wasn't trying as hard as he could. Yeah, or wasn't something was, something was off because this time he was when goofing. they, yo, he tells, he tells my man with the sword, I want to, I want to fight you right now. And the second Shirano even goes to attack, he gets fucking one shot it. He gets mm-hmm. cut in half in one fucking, inter- they have one interaction where they clash swords and that's it. It's over, like in a flash. There is no fighting really. It is just straight up, we clash swords, I'm better than you, and he basically cuts this man in two. They don't like literally show that, but you see in this cool ass yeah. animated scene that like the guy got cut really, really deep and really bad and uh, he's dead. Like he's 100% dead off of that one slash. Oh, yeah. No question. And then the other one, his cohort, the fat, thriller bark looking guy who looks like Gecko Moria's um, ancestor, he says, All right, that horn that I used earlier was a fake one, but this is the real thing. And he pulls it out and it looks, it does look like a better dragon horn, but he blows it and a real dragon does show up. And uh, this yeah, is where he's like, like, I'm the only one that can like control the dragon because I have this horn. Mm-hmm. And then, like, I don't remember how, but the horn ends up getting broken. Yeah, it ends up breaking. I forget what happened to it, too. Because uh, it's been a couple weeks since I watched this, but a- anyway, the dragon does come, and when the dragon gets there, Ryuma jumps on top of its back, and the dragon takes flight, so they end up airborne, and then he just fucking cuts the dragon's head off, and it falls into the town and yeah. lands on top of like a random building. This is a dead dragon with a with a severed and head. He kills it like he just kills the dragon. Pretty much no difficulty. Yeah. Like he just kills the fucking dragon. Which um, it's funny because I was going to call that a callback, even though actually what happens in Punk Hazard is the callback. Punk Hazard does a callback to Ryoma where Zoro like one shots a dragon. And that's like the callback to um, Ryoma in this little one shot. Mm. But it's funny because wa- when you watch it and you're a One Piece fan first, you like you look at that and you're like, oh, this is a- you can feel like it's a callback to when Zoro did it in Punk Hazard. But I thought that was awesome. He just goes up, kills it. My only because I like the whole thing. My only little gripe is that and granted, it, this was just a one shot. Yeah, was one it's only 25 minutes thing. long. It's only 25 minutes long, and they just worked with what was available with them, which is completely fine. But I would have loved that they just made it like 40 minutes, and they, they didn't ha- add anything to the story, 
but just maybe made the like the fight longer. I, I wish the same thing. I get it though. Like you said, I don't want them to add stuff to the story to kind of fluff it up, but I wish that the animation was longer on the fight scene. The animation is good. Do not get me wrong. It is good animation. It's just that he one shots both his opponents. So yeah. there's not much to see, but it also kind of shows how powerful he was. I think that that's what yeah, we're supposed, that's to, true, get from, that's we're supposed yeah. to get from that. And then at the end, after he saves everybody, the dragon's been felled and everything, uh, you see him walking away in a bamboo forest, which really cool to go there in real life. I've been the one in Japan. But when he's walking away in a bamboo forest, they start talking about like the king again. And I, I guess I'm to assume that he is the king or something. Yeah, so I, I saw a couple people got confused by this. Um, Me being one of them. Yeah. So I, you know, essentially, what it is, he's not the king of a land. What, what, what they end up saying is that with the, I think it's the, the tavern keep again. He, there's a sword, there's a wandering swordsman that has like his stories of him have gone all across the world, mm. and he goes all around the world, and he is by far the best swordsman everywhere he goes. He's like blah blah, and so he gets given the title king. There's this swordsman that goes all around everywhere and like has been doing various things and they call this swordsman the king but ryoma being kind of the free spirit that he is he never sticks around and like bathes in his accolades like he does his shit he lives his life and he moves on to the next thing so he does he's not even aware that he (laughs) is the king so earlier in the episode when the guy was like the only swordsman that's stronger than you guy then like shirano is the king ryoma's like oh wow i want to fight him not realizing that it's him it's it it is him like he is the king so i definitely um, did not pick up on that um uh, watching this or whatever the first time until you explained that i I knew that he was the king at the, because the end they show him walking away and they bring up the king again and then you realize that he fought Sharano and he bested him and Sharano is really considered a top swordsman of the time and only considered second to whoever this king person is so i thought that ryuma was actually like like an actual king that ruled over some land like he's coming down from a castle but people never saw what he looked like so mm-hmm. they didn't know that ryuma is him otherwise they would have revered him and had you know all kinds of bowing down and prostrating and you know things that you do when you see an actual king in those times yeah yeah i i, I thought that it was kind of that kind of story but in reality it's it's that he is revered but doesn't you're saying he doesn't even know that like the person yeah. they're talking about is it's you it's you my guy yeah he has no idea that he's the king because he doesn't and it's something really cool about um the you know the a trait that kind of the protagonists have in one piece uh, specifically like luffy and zoro you know nami would definitely want to figure out stick around for the riches but where they are they're living their life they're living their life they're on their adventure and they're doing their thing and they're not interested after they they're kind of do they're not interested in sticking around and everybody praising them or getting the accolades or getting like rewarded for whatever they did they just kind of live their life like even at the end the girl says like says to him that she owes him a big apology and all this other crap. And then he basically just says, like, you know, next time I'm around, like, you know, just you owe me a dinner or something. Like, he just says, like, yeah. I'll come get dinner. I'll come get something to eat. And, like, we'll call it even. Like, he's not interested in any accolades. He's just a, he's just a good person that's going around doing whatever he's doing, living his life and trying to find whoever the greatest swordsman is so he can become the world's greatest swordsman. Um, even though he already familiar. is, he just doesn't even know it. That's actually cool as shit, though, that he is the greatest horseman and doesn't realize it. Like, literally. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's actually an awesome little uh, story. And I, I wouldn't mind if Oda, you know, expanded on it more because it goes from this little one shot to him being literally dead because it's hundreds of years later and Zoro's storyline and Zoro ends up getting his sword, which, so here's the confirmation uh, if it wasn't confirmed anywhere else. Kenny did bring up that, you know, like we know for a fact that this guy is an ancestor to Zoro, but if it wasn't confirmed there, apparently in the original manga, uh, the sword was just drawn like a regular ass sword, but then it got updated to look like the exact sword that Zoro got, you know, in this one shot. So they actually have the exact same sword. And then, uh, you know, at the post-credit scene, the thing that everybody nutted over was Ryuma, like literally meeting Zoro and like him all, you know, mummified, zombified or whatever. Uh, what is Zoro? Zoro says some cocky shit. It's just like the interaction is really cool, but... Dude, the interaction... I wish I could remember the quote. Zoro always says some cocky shit, like some cool-ass little like poetic shit that Zoro says. Yeah. It's such a cool thing that they added that because, you know, the one shot is what it is. It was, you know, made before One Piece even came out. And then years and years, years in the One Piece, Oda has this thriller bark arc where he brings back a character from a previous work who's, you know, hundreds of years later. And this character ends up having a relation to Zoro and he hands down the sword to him. And that's all really cool stuff. And if you're a fan of just Oda in general, you look at that and you're like, you just get excited because you're like, oh, Ryoma, like, like if you were an old school fan of this guy, like if you happen to be one of like the hundred people at the time that might have read his first one shot, this one shot, you'd be so excited. Like it's like a little Easter egg, right? Yeah. But it's cool that in this animated one shot that they do of it, they end up putting in the post credit scene kind of what the result of this one shot is when you go all the way to the end and then Ryoma talking and him handing his sword down to Zoro after their bark. And like the way they animate, it's just so fucking cool, man. Like I got goosebumps looking at it. Like I was so excited. Yeah, and Zoro has gotten so much stronger in One Piece. Like, I still think about when he couldn't cut through steel or whatever. And mm -hmm. that was such a big deal when he did it the first time. And where he is now is so ridiculous with, like, Conqueror's hockey and all kinds. Like, he's just, he's just wild, right? Like, he's absolutely fucking wild. It's not uh, even close. Yeah, the shit that he can do now. Like, I remember when he's, you know, in Wano at, towards the end, when he's, he's helping Luffy fight against uh, Kaido and he actually damages kaido with the same was it the same sword that like damaged kaido before enma yeah yeah, yeah. He, ha he has that story and you know kaido has this big ass mark on his chest which came from odin i believe um but like it's really cool that randomly during parts of that fight they're like is that fucking congress like what is happening right now like this this guy just had he's able to you know coat things in congress hockey I and mean, that's like the highest of the high that is like in in one piece as we know it right now that is like the thing if you can do that What's What's kind of cool, too, is like Conqueror's Hockey. It's like also like King's Hockey, right? Yeah. And what's cool is that if I remember correctly how it plays out in Wano, Zoro doesn't even realize he no. has Conqueror's Hockey. He, does, he doesn't. And I think that's such a cool parallel, right, to back to Ryoma. He doesn't realize that he is the king. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like people call this this person king. He walks around oblivious to the fact that he is the king. And, and Zoro then, is like, oblivious to a lot of things as well. He's a very Zoro, like, yeah. oblivious it's so guy. cool. No, it's like, definitely he's a cool just parallel. Oblivious that he has like essentially Zoro's also a king and oblivious to it because yeah. he has to conquer his hockey. Um so that's awesome. Like it's really, really cool moment. And he, yeah, he damages um Kaido. Rayleigh Rayleigh also had it, right? Yeah, Rayleigh blatantly has a conqueror's hockey. Okay. They also call him the Dark King Rayleigh. I want to know the lore. I want to know the lore behind that. Why is he called the Dark King? <laughs> that is king, so Rayleigh? cool because like, he does not look like a dark king that, at all. 
Yeah, like, why'd he get that name? Like, yeah. What did he do? I do need, uh, at some point, when One Piece is all said and done, I would like Oda, and if Oda doesn't do it, unfortunately, it will get bastardized by some uh, some other person, some other studio, and they will just make it. But I do want Oda, if, you know, he can not George R. R. Martin us, if he could give us the entire story of Gold Roger, like, literally, and it would be as long as One Piece, I imagine, because One Piece is only, there's only a couple years that have passed in One Piece, which is kind of crazy when you think about it, but, like, from the yeah. start of Luffy embarking in Chapter 1, basically, to where we are right now, it's only been a couple years, and I mean, like, a couple. So, yeah, it's very possible. I think they just have a really big planet. Years are longer than our years. That's why. I, I, I do kind of feel you on that, because, like, bro, how? <laughs> right? Like, yeah. like, how? Like, I always think about Shanks becoming a Yonko. That to me, Shanks becoming a Yonko, but then look at Luffy, right? It's like, bro, Luffy's a Yonko. Like, actually, like, he's not, he's not some bullshit. Like, he actually has a, 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 a bounty of, of three billion yeah. berry. So it's, it's like, insane. it's actually insane to me, but it's really interesting how in such a short time, Shanks became a Yonko. And then in such a short time, Luffy became a Yonko. And it doesn't seem like that because we've been reading or watching One Piece for over a decade. And One Piece has been going on for 30 years, like, actually. Mm-hmm. So it's, it doesn't seem like it's been a short amount of time, but in the story, in the context of the story, it's only been a couple years. Like a yeah. decade hasn't passed yet. Oh so, man, a Yonko in a, in a couple years is wild. Like this kid started off as nothing. Like you look at him, even in a live action, I think about the, like the little the little kid Luffy who's like crying and everything like that. He tries to cut his eyeball out and all that, <laughs> and like. You think about that kid in a few years, well, not from that point, but from the time when he embarks anyway, but that kid one day is going to be a Yonko and it's not going to be, honestly, it's not going to be that much longer. Like it's not that long. Like yeah, it's not that much longer. He's literally like shipwrecked in a fucking barrel. Like he's, he's in a barrel. Like yeah. when we, when he shows up on a Alvita ship, his little dinghy that he was in got shipwrecked and he survived <laughs> by getting in a barrel and like the barrel ends up on Alvita's ship and like, that's that's where your king was, right? Yeah. That's where your pirate king was. He was in a fucking barrel about to drown <laughs> the death. That's where he was. The story was going to end. <laughs> it's so wild to me. And there's looking at where he is now, like fighting both Kaido and Big Mom at the same time. It's fucking wild. Like, it, oh, I love One Piece. I don't want this to become a One Piece episode because then we won't end up doing these listener letters at all. But no, no, yeah, yeah. But just back to the, this uh, Netflix thing. It's a really cool little watch if you haven't watched it yet. It's just a 25-minute thing. You can pop it on, watch yep. it. It's perfect for um, just a random, like, I'm kind of bored, need something to throw on real quick. Throw it on. Yep. And I think that even if you... Here's the thing. Even if you do not watch or know anything about One Piece, you can just watch this independently. It is an independent story. It's just fully independent. Yeah. yeah. Like, they do link together if you need them to, but... If you don't know anything about One Piece, the story itself is actually like a Final Fantasy game. It, every single one is just its own independent thing. So uh, I, I recommend watching it. Yeah. Also, I just love at the end though. Like they come back to town. It was like he, he does kill the dragon, right? But yeah, then he, like he cuts its head off. The dragon's body, like yeah, the dragon's it's just body. there now. Like it's just there. Like the townspeople now have to deal with this fucking dragon. I body. was so I was hoping that uh. In my head, I was like, I guess that this would make them either a, a really big inconvenience or really rich. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. I just assume that dragon parts, dragon hides, dragon claws, dragon fangs, dragon wings, dragon webbing, monster hunter. Uh, I just assume that the dragon materials that you would get from it would be so valuable because how many mm-hmm. times has a dragon been killed and able to be just carved up and harvested for all of its shit? So, yeah, I, I mean, they know. better be eaten good. They better salt that meat. They, they, yeah, salt that meat, freeze that meat, cut that meat up, divvy it out. Because 
it was, I was watching a YouTube video. The guy was like, how the fuck do you even give everybody back their money? Like one guy's going to be like, well, I had 80,000 in my piggy bank. And it's like, <laughs> you know, like how do you even all their money was collected in one spot for the, the thieves to kind of steal. And it's all of the townspeople's riches. It's all of their, their possessions in one area. So it's like, how do you even divvy that back up? But I was like, in my head, this will resolve itself by one people not being um, greedy, hopefully, but also just the dragon. I imagine is going to bring in so much money. I also imagine yeah. like, and this, this is like getting real heck cannon with it but i imagine that that dragon maybe they'll take the head and, and put it up on a mantle somewhere in front of the town and it'll be a big attraction where people want to come to this place to yeah. see that you know what i mean like make a whole thing out of it where you can moni- yeah. you can super monetize it you can monetize the shit out of it a like, dragon it, it, bro a real dragon you could super monetize a real like dragon. you said so. what are the chance like just look at the way they reacted to it like yeah. there aren't many situations where anybody's come out of a situation with a dragon and lived the right. last time a dragon showed up to a town. Now, granted, like, Sharano was evil, but he didn't have to do much. Like, the dragon, the dragon <laughs> wiped, the, like, the dragon did wipe the fucking town out. It did. Yeah. So. Okay. Uh, let's move on to listener letters. So, this one is the main one that kind of, uh, I really wanted to get to it because this one was written by uh, a friend of mine named Matt, Matt Bishop, Matthew Bishop. So he reached out to me on Facebook Messenger initially, and he asked a question. I said, you know what? That's a really good question, and I would rather answer your question instead of just a one-on-one in the inbox. I would rather I would rather answer it on the podcast live, right? Like, just do it with me and Kenny talk about it and just my thoughts on it because I think it's a really good question. So he says, hi, love the podcast. Keep up the great work. Interested in your thoughts on if Konami continues on the same trajectory that they're on with the Ultimate Time Wizard tournaments at existing YCSs, do you think that the community will begin to consider Ultimate Time Wizard tournament tops equivalent to YCS tops? All the best, Matthew Bishop. So this reminds me of what happened when ARG started doing their own circuit series. Naturally, when ARG started doing their own circuit series, a lot of people were like, do you count topping an ARG as as topping a premiere event, do you consider it to be the same as topping a YCS? Do you consider it to be its own separate thing? And there was a lot of debate uh, uh, from a lot of different people. Uh, uh, it's, it's interesting because people who never top anything ever had a lot to say about this. And I always find that to be interesting because they are like the most opinionated and they usually have like really negative opinions. So a lot of what I remember back in 2013, when the first ARG ever happened in Texas, the one where the famous me and Billy break thing happened, um, a lot of people were like, oh, like this tournament only had 400 people uh, It's definitely not, you know, it's not a real top. And like people started quant- trying to quantify what a real top is. And then you had people who were arguing the other thing and they were like, well, it was 400 people, but literally all of the best players in the game were there. It was like, look yeah. at look at the first of all, Patrick Hoban won the event. Um, me and Billy and like eight other people that I'm sorry, I don't remember everybody who topped that event. I just remember like some of the top cut, but the top cut was fucking stacked. Like it was was 11 years ago. You're not going to remember everyone. Yeah. Literally 11 years ago. Uh, but I remember like some of the, you know, things like me and Billy's match. I remember Pat winning and things like that. But so you have a national champion, the pre you had the previous national champion won the event. You have Billy brick, who at the time was a two time YCS champion. Uh, you had me, I'm a YCS champion. And then there were other people who won YCSs and stuff like that in the top cut as well. So this event was super stacked and the cream rises to the top. So like the top cut was a lot of good players. So I was like, on one hand, like, sure, it is not a thousand people like YCSs are. That is a fact. You could also argue that when a tournament is a thousand people, it's kind of easier for the better players to do well. And, And it's always been my opinion that it's easier to do well at a tournament that is bigger just because... I think that the density of good players goes down when oh, yeah. 
when there are just more people, right? Like, yeah, like if you like if you put if you're the 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 strongest swordsman and they put you in a room with five <laughs> other strongest swordsmen, there's a good chance you you die that day. Yes, yes, you're absolutely. But if right. you're the, if you're one of the strongest swordsmen and they put you in the room with a thousand random people and there's four other strongest right, swordsmen, right, 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 like. You're going to massacre so many people and probably like just walk out of there. Like, <laughs> yeah. It's... So what Kenny said, great analogy there, by the way. Um, that is very true. If you if you are in a room with just five people and all of you are extremely good, the chances of you actually winning the tournament, you know, it's 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 hard, especially when we're talking about card games. Uh, but if you put me in a room where there are five other great players or four other great players, I should say, so there's five great players total, and then there's a thousand people added onto it, and a thousand people are just like varying skill levels, the chances are that we're going to have an easier time doing well on that particular tournament on that particular day than we would if there were just the five of us. So that's yeah. just kind of like, you know, there's arguments to be made on either way. What I really think is that you can count the tops for any event, right? You can say, like, I topped uh, online Edison tournaments, or I've topped Ultimate Time Wizard tournaments, or I've topped ARGs, or I've topped Nationals, or I've topped YCSs. You could say you topped anything, right? And... I think Jeff Jones was the one who really said this first, or at least the first person that I saw who said who said it on my Facebook. Um, but Jeff was like, I think ARGs do count. I just think that they are separate. Like, they're their own thing. So when you say, like, I have 21 tops, you could say I have 21 tops, 16 of them are YCSs, and five of them are ARGs. And that's just like, that's just how it is. Like, those are, those are my tops. Um, just the same way, like, when people say I have X amount of tops, they don't include regionals, but people will tell you how many regional tops they have separately. They'll say like, oh, I've, I've topped like 28 regionals and I've topped three YCSs, but they won't say I've topped 31 tournaments, even though they have, like they have topped 31 tournaments, but it's a little disingenuous yeah. to say I topped 31 tournaments when really people, when they're asking that question and it's kind of just known, like they're asking about premier event tops, like premier, you know, I think it's, I think they're called by Konami level two or something like that. Premier level two, whatever the hell, when it's a YCS, it's considered like a higher tier and regionals are considered a tier below that. And then like locals are considered locals. Uh, yeah. but there's like a tiering system. And I think that ARGs are premier events at the time because of just the level of competition that you faced at those events, but they are different than topping a YCS. Like they felt different. They yeah. had different rules. They were best three out of five in the finals, as opposed to, you know, just what every other Yu-Gi-Oh tournament was just best two out of three all the way through. And there's a lot of different things. Go ahead. They're, they are different, but at the same time, it's like they're different, but at the end of the day, they're the same in a way. Like you, you call them something different. You say like, I, you know, I top three RGs because that's just what you did. And you top 12 YCS right. or whatever, right? That's but at the end of the day, it's always been such a weird idea to me because people do get hung up on these like semantics. Here's the thing: if you have a person who goes and let's say they top three ARGs, and you're saying, like, are you gonna now argue like, oh, but he's not actually good at Yu-Gi-Oh? Because what are you trying to determine right, 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 with right. this statistic? At the end of the day, you're like, you're like, oh, those tops don't count. You're saying they don't count. What do you mean they don't count? He played Yu-Gi-Oh right. against some of the best people in the world, right? Like whether yeah, it was the best people, the that best people went. Jeff Jones won three ARGs. Patrick Hoban yeah. won like five of them. Uh, so, there's a lot of good players who have won. Marcus Hayden won, I think maybe two ARGs. I know he definitely won at least one. There's a lot of people who have won ARGs. James Frazier won one. Big big James, mm -hmm. Cincy James from our server. He's won an ARG. A lot of really good players. Patrick James won two of them. The the point is, like I get what you're so, saying. Regardless of 400 people enter or 1,000 people enter, right? What happens at the end? At the end, there's a top 16, right? It doesn't matter how many people enter your fucking right. tournament. There's a top 16 at the end, right? And then once you got to that top 16, there was a top eight. 
and then a top four, and then two, and then a winner. And what matters for the tournament isn't the amount of people that enter. The amount of people that enter is an exciting statistic. And it does have some merit in its own right. It is a merit to say, like, I was the best on this day out of a thousand people. However, the statistic that's far more important, in my opinion, is what was the quality of the killers at the event? Yeah. If you look at the Smash Summit. I was just about to say that. There's 16 people there. Like, it's a... it's. There's 16 people at Smash Summit, or however many people get right, in. So would you discredit a Smash Summit, which has the 16 best players in the world at the time? Would you discredit the entire Summit? Or I, guess, I should say, it's usually like the 12 best players in the world, and then four players who were invited by votes or whatever. But that's still fine. Yeah. It's still like, literally, you're always getting MKLeo, Tweak, Spargo, Akola, Mia. Like you're, getting, you're getting the absolute light. You're getting the absolute killers people who are considered the top 10 players in the world at every single one of the and summits. even the people voted in are usually they're always it's good usually too. people like right after the cutoff yeah they'll be like it'll be like three people that were like right they just weren't top 10 but they right. were like in the top 15 yep and then like there's always like one meme guy that makes it. yeah like a jiggly he plays jigglypuff for little mac so they voted him in because you know yeah. people want to see that but, character at that high level that's the like Smash Summit, and in the Smash community, it is reg- it was regarded because Summit doesn't happen anymore. It was regarded on the it was a premier event. It was yeah. like if you won Smash Summit, you were considered yeah, that goes to your resume. One, yeah, a really good event. <laughs> Not only even that, though it was only six, 16 people, because the prize was fifty thousand dollars. Like Leo, I'll never forget. Yeah. Leo won fifty fucking thousand dollars. Like actually, Absurd. actually fifty thousand dollars. Look it up. It is crazy. You want to tell me this doesn't count? Bro, this counts. Yeah, like, All right. I'll, my, listen, my you bank can, account counts. I was about count. to say, you could tell me it don't count, but my bank account says otherwise. Like, I don't know what yeah, to tell like, you. I so. count. And ARGs, that's another thing. ARGs are paying out cash fucking money. $1,500 cash. So, yeah, you, counts, you can baby. say, like, oh, it doesn't count, but, like, I literally won $1,500 playing Yu-Gi-Oh, and you've never won anything playing this game, ever? Yeah. So, like I said, a lot of casual people who have never topped anything in their life gets so like bent out of shape when these conversations come up and then you'll always get that one guy who just comes in after a while is like it's so interesting to see a bunch of y'all who have never even experienced what it's like to win a prize card arguing about what the prize card should be <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is so so fucking disrespectful that it is Can you tell him to be quiet because it's that like is- because you don't gotta one, do that. On one hand, I love disrespectful shit like that. Like I live for like that just kind of shadiness. But at the same time, just because you haven't, you know, experienced something yourself doesn't mean that you can't comment on it, right? Oh, of course. So it yeah. is it is all in good fun. It's it's just kind of funny to hear that, like, you know, why are you even in this conversation when you've never gotten close to getting a prize card? Like to get a prize card, you gotta be clear, you have to be top three at a YCS. That's how you get a prize card. Uh and but, so it's like, yeah, I've never made top three at a YCS, but I still think that like the prize card could be better regardless of that, you know? Yeah. I think that it's one of those things though. Like sometimes when you, when you're in certain positions, you get an, I understand getting annoyed because you're looking, there's a bunch of people that may be saying like your accomplishments in this thing don't count. They're right. saying that's it what doesn't they're trying count. to do. Trying and to it's like, what do you mean? It doesn't count. Like I still one like I still played Yu-Gi-Oh and did the best that day. Yeah. Like, what do you and mean? Beat your faves, the people who you, the people who are your faves who top YCSs and nationals and all the other events, I beat them to top this tournament. And I beat them in top cut to advance to top eight to top four or whatever. So, like, and are you going to tell me that they like some people might say like, oh, but it wasn't a real tournament, so they were sandbagging. It's like, yeah, you were sandbagging with fifteen k. 
Like they, they were saying, this is the tournament that decided the yeah, sandbag? Like what are you talking this about? one? Um, ARG has had 5K tournaments, 20K tournaments. Like Chris LeBlanc, we've had him on the podcast. Tommy Rowe, they've won those events. Uh, it's very interesting, though, the the way people think about tops. I, I do think it's an interesting question, and that's why I wanted to bring it up. So, Matt, thank you so much for writing in this question. I have a little bit more to say about this, too, because... So he was asking about the Ultimate Time Wizard specifically, and we went on a whole rant about yeah, ARGs yeah, yeah, and true. Konami. So in terms of Ultimate Time Wizard tournaments, those tournaments, the one for Nationals was 290 people around that amount. It was like 287 or something. So I'm going to say 290. So that one was 290 people. So I know people love knowing how many people attend it, right? So it's 290 people, uh, a lot of good players in that tournament. And then you have, especially like when you look at who are the top players online, you had a true hero who got second at the tournament. You had me who got top four. Uh, and then a couple other people who are really good and just in general showed up and played and all that good stuff, right? Um, and then you have uh, YCS Indianapolis had a Ultimate Time Wizard tournament and Oscar Zelaya won and he won a YCS. Uh, and then you had YCS Richmond and that one I topped and I ended up playing against Tom Mack in the last round of Swiss. Tom Mack is a fellow YCS champion. He's from the Philadelphia area. I played against him to get into top eight, to guarantee my spot in top eight, I had to go through Tom Mack. And uh, we went to game three, and it, it it was a grueling fucking three games. We both bricked in game three. It was very scary. And like, I won by the skin of my teeth. It was like one of those games where you're just like literally sweating all over. And uh, they're difficult. Like I've had, I've had to basically like struggle through every single one of these tournaments, every one of these tops. I've been almost eliminated multiple times from these events just because like the caliber of player that I'm playing, they're decent players and the people who win are usually really good like matt kalinda won nationals last year and he went to worlds in regular Yu-Gi-Oh in 2015 i think uh so he clearly is like a good player he also i'm pretty sure has like topped other things on top of just going to worlds from topping nationals the one year he did so the people who are doing well at ultimate time was a tournament are just good Yu-Gi-Oh players like they're like we're not seeing fucking randoms yeah show up to ultimate time with the tournaments and and take them down like the people who are winning are genuinely like pretty good at the game and or they have like a really good deck or whatever and they understand what they're doing it's just that what happens is people who are uh modern players especially they don't know the online community a lot of the times yeah uh, recently i had a player go ahead i was going to say in the case of this it's kind of interesting because the fan community the online community is what was bigger first and so when you have things like the rbet the other thing is that that's able to be a global tournament with it yes. being with everybody staying at their home. So the ultimate time was tournaments, these in-person tournaments, typically like the Italians can't really make it to that or whatever, right. but it's still like going to be, I think a premier event also, you know, it's getting bigger. They're getting bigger. They're getting more exciting. Um, I just hope it keeps growing and Konami keeps putting more into it and incentivizing more and more people to go. Yeah, I, I hope the same thing. But I do think that they count as tops to answer the question if, if it was yeah. asked to me. Like, do, Why wouldn't they? Yeah, like, does topping an ultimate time as a tournament um, count? I think the answer is yes. He says, do you consider it equivalent to YCS top? I would say not equivalent. I would say it's its own category of a top because topping a YCS insinuates that you are topping in a modern format, right? So you're topping in whatever... The, a YCS is always the current format. And it's always going to be like... 11 rounds especially nowadays with how big Yu-Gi-Oh is then I cut the top 64 or top 32 and like all this other shit uh they're just different they're literally just different yeah it's a it's, top well, like if somebody asked me how many tops I had like I'll say I have X I think I have 22 tops that are not considered retro format tops so like if you ask me how many tops I had when I was playing competitive the answer is 22 and if you 
want to add my Ultimate Time Wizard top and then my YCS Richmond top from those two Ultimate Time Wizard tournaments, those are also tops that I have. Like, those are Konami events. If that's what you think is, like, the criteria is, like, it has to be by Konami, even though I don't think that that... I don't think that Konami throwing the tournament makes it, like, you know, that counts as a top and everything else doesn't. Because that's just, like, discounting RBET, Deck Devastators, Pika to Beat, like, all the other tournaments that happen. It's just, like, do they just not count? Why do they not... Like, why do they just not count? Do they... I mean, if they do something egregious... I'll be like, well, yeah, that that tournament's kind of crazy town, and it's not the same. But those tournaments are just doing like retro Yu-Gi-Oh for the most part. They're not like going out of their way to make things like too too crazy. Um, so yeah, they all just they're all their own thing. Like I have a couple online tops. I just consider them to be my online tops. Like they're my they're my yeah. I am nerd online tops. I play with the I am nerd account. You know, nerd. I go on top <laughs> a couple tournaments. They're all they are all their own thing. It's like, but I do think they all have their own value, and you know, some can have more value than others. Um, it depends on like the density of it. Like, how many people there? It does matter to some degree, but it, it only matters to the point where like, did people that really care about the format and are trying to push it competitively, did they show up? Um, in modern Yu-Gi-Oh, you you know, if you have a thousand people entering, part of that is the fact that that is the biggest, most competitive portion of Yu-Gi-Oh at the moment, and. Th- those ha- it has the most amount of people trying to make it as hard as possible, trying to win mm-hmm. in the most amount of way. Whereas the retro formats, they have a much smaller audience, so there's less people that are trying to break the game. So there, there there's but potentially not as many, but like as it gets more popular, there might be more and more people that come in, etc. Whatever. Um, but I do agree that I think all those a- accolades are valuable. You call them something different, though, because at the end of the day, it is a different game. Like if you top retro for- format Yu-Gi-Oh to just say like disingenuously, like, oh, I have 50 tops and it's including modern format, goat format, dragon duel, right. fucking uh, big card. It's including all these other things like these are all my tops. It's almost like saying like, oh, yeah, I have 56 tops. And then you don't explain that 30 of them are Yu-Gi-Oh, 15 are Pokemon, right. 10 are Magic the Gathering. It's like it's a little weird. Like you should say like, Oh yeah, I've topped 10 magic, the gathering YCS or whatever the fuck they're right. called and et cetera. No, I, I totally agree. I think that, uh, it, as long as they're kind of categorized, it's, it's whatever, but I don't think that one thing determines if something is a top or not. Like some people say, Oh, it just needs to be this amount of people, or it needs to be thrown by Konami, or it needs to have this rule set, or it needs this or that. I think that like, there's a myriad of things and that you can count basically anything you want uh, but you just have to categorize it as to put it in context, essentially is what I'm saying. Like, just put that shit in context because yeah. again, if I go out and top a PS5 tournament, I'm not going to add that to my number of tops personally. That's, you know, that's my prerogative. Like I'm not going to go around saying that I have 23 tops. If I top a PS5 tournament this weekend, this is not what I'm going to do. Um, that is not a top to me because PS5 tournaments are usually like 60 people and, they're just but, the people in the area. But if you want to say... If it was a say, PS5 tournament and there was... Even if it was just 100 people, but, you know, there... But all of the top... Like, I'm yeah, just going to use Smash because I don't know everybody else's name. Yeah, but yeah, if, yeah. if you have a PS5 tournament and it's fucking Mago, Hungrybox, Armada, Mewtwo King, you know, Dr. PP, and then I'm going to mix generations here. I'm going to jump... Now I'm going to include the future in the yeah. same tournament. And it's Zane and it's fucking IBDW. And it, like, you have all these people in the same tournament so yeah that should count I'm, I'm glad you brought that up uh that's actually what smash ultimate does now and i guess melee probably does this too but i only know what smash ultimate is doing because that's the community that i follow but in smash ultimate the way tournaments get graded in terms of what they are considered is based on who went so oh yeah that's how they do it in melee yeah okay so in smash ultimate um a tournament 
the highest level is considered a P tier tournament. I don't know why they decided on it being P, but it is a P tier tournament. And oh, that is weird. that is I've only, never heard that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that is only if players the top like you need at least I want to say five out of the top ten players from the previous rankings to be there at least for it to be considered something like a P tier. Uh and then you need like several other top players as well to show up. So basically a tournament will be Based on who registered for pre-registered for it, a tournament will be like a B-tier tournament, right? And then a couple crazy hitters will show up. Like MKLeo might just be like, fuck it, I'll go down to this like random tournament in New Orleans or something this weekend. And then Light will be like, oh, if you're going, I'm going. And then the tournament will just get upgraded to an S tier, which is under is under P, but it's still there's still so many ridiculous players there now that is considered an S-tier tournament. Yeah, P I'm is the highest. I'm not a fan of this P. I'm not P. a fan of P being the highest. I don't know what that rant's about. I'm gonna have to catch that episode of where they explain it. That's a fucking rant. But I know the same thing happened was like in Melee where there was like, you know, there's like regionals, nationals, and then there's majors, like, and then like super majors. Yes. And like super major was like three out of the five gods are there. And then a bunch of other top players are there. Yep. That's like a super major. That's and the exact I don't same thing. Care. They still say super major too, but they just, they even get more like. Yeah. yeah. They're like, I don't care where it's at. I don't give a fuck if it's in like somebody's basement rant. yeah it, it's if it's in somebody's basement but three out of the five gods are there and there's 10 other fucking top 15 players and there's then guess you what know, yeah that's a fucking suit like there's competition there like if, yeah smash if con, is sweating example, it out and throwing his controller like smash con genesis like these are always going to be pizza tournaments because the amount of people who go on top of the quality of players who go like you're going to get most of the top 10 at genesis next week like i believe genesis is this weekend coming up the same weekend as ycs vegas i'm pretty sure they're the same weekend and uh, genesis is one of the biggest tournaments of the year for smash period not just like ultimate but like smash period is one of the biggest events of the year and it's going to be a p-tier tournament you know the prize yeah. is always insane uh pretty much everyone in the top 10 is going i think the interesting thing this year the only person who's not going is a cola uh, but they were saying that he doesn't, we don't know why he's not going. It could be for any reason, right? He's young and, you know, he doesn't have to go to everything at that age that he's at. And he's uh, he's considered the number one player as of 2023, like the whole year ranking that they did. Um, he's the number one player at the year end. And so they were saying that because he's the number one player and because Japan is the number one region in the world, that this is the first time this has ever happened where Japan is the number one region. And it's interesting for the other countries to have to deal with traveling to Japan to get their rankings up, as opposed to having everyone has to usually come to America to be ranked. Like, basically, if the top player is in America, right, if you want to be in the top 10 rankings, you have to come to American events because the top players are all ranked in America. So even if you are winning every single Japanese tournament, your region isn't looked at as a real region until you have a bunch of good players. So what has happened is, and this is crazy how this has shifted over the last five years of Smash Ultimate being out, but because of players actually traveling to Japan and not winning, like a lot of people have gone to Japan and like come back with an L, um, and Japanese players have been coming over here constantly. In the last like two or three years, Japan has been invading the U.S., coming here and taking back trophies. And so that has raised the Japanese power level, which means that if, as the, if so what ends up happening is this, it's actually so crazy. A tournament in Japan that just has a bunch of Japanese people and no Americans, no Canadians, no uh, Mexicans, no Europeans or anything, right? A tournament that happens in Japan that is just self-sufficient, it's just Japanese people, can actually be a P-tier event because so many of their players are considered the top 20 players in the entire game right now. So if they all just start showing up, which they do, then their events are P-tier, so they don't need anyone else, which means... Oh, it's so crazy. Yeah, go is ahead. That this is common for, like, 
every other fighting game. Anyway. Really? Like this? Yeah, for every other fighting game, for the most part, America is not the number one region. Yeah. Uh, so I'm just used to usually, like North America being, you know. It's usually Japan or Korea yep. or. And at one point in Tekken, the number one region was like Pakistan. Like, it oh, was, shit. Yeah, it was really fucking cool because there was one year where like um some people came to America. They fucking won. And people are like, oh, it was a one time thing. And then the one, this one guy kept winning. Yeah. And then the people from his group, like other people from Pakistan, like they started winning and like doing really good. And then people are like, holy shit, is this region like real, real? <laughs> and then they were like, we've been telling you all it's real. Just, you know, nobody knows because we're all the way over here. Yep. Um, Happened with Japan to smash. And at some point they got considered the best region. Now that said, everybody didn't travel over there to play, but um, they did yeah, get well. considered the best. <laughs> Um, but it's funny because North Amer- in Smash Bros, it has such an interesting history because for whatever reason, America has always been the number one in Smash Bros. Um, forever. Yeah, like Armada and Leffenham will come here to compete because yeah, this like, is we don't go to they- Sweden. I mean, we have, but we don't. Yeah, typically they have to come here to compete because if you want to be ranked top five, top ten, whatever in Smash, that's this is where the best players are. So yeah, the only way your tournament can be considered a P level event is super major i'll just say the only way your tournament can be considered a super major is if you come to this country and play but now it's shifted to where you need to go to japan to be in the top 10 at this point so what's been happening is like spargo's been going he won the last kagaribi i think or maybe the one before the last because i don't know if he went to the very last one but spargo won a kagaribi through a cola through mia through everybody in japan who's like considered you know top 10 or whatever he beat everybody uh beat a cola Really bad in the finals as usual. He's never lost to a cola before ever, which I I do think that like that's a whole conversation too about like I've never lost to you and I'm considered number two because I've lost to other people. You're considered number one, but I literally beat you badly every time we play. And like yeah. I don't know how to quantify that. I don't have the rubric that's used to give rankings. It's a, it's an interesting dynamic. Like, I you think can't that... beat me. You li- Kenny. You literally you literally cannot yeah. ever in your life beat me you are i am literally okay, like relax. your dragon's relax. okay <laughs> not you right. but like, i'm your okay. dragon's bane. let's relax <laughs> i'm your dragon's bane you never ever like, could shit. beat me right imagine that being the case but like any you're worthless but yeah, like imagine that being the case where you could never beat someone but but you're like ranked higher than them and this person is and it's not like you're it's not like we're talking about some guy who he plays little mac and you just can't deal with little mac for some reason and this guy beats you every time but he's ranked like number 3000 and he just happens to beat you it's like no we're talking about the second best player in the world right so like when you compare the two i think that it's just a little weird to have number one be somebody who can't beat a player in the top 10 whereas spargo has beat and will beat every single person in top 10 like he's beaten every single person in top i think spargo has a winning record on every player in the top 10 players uh he's the only character i think he's the only person in top 10 who has like that kind of just prestige against everybody else in the top. Like the other non-players have all lost to Spargo more than they've beaten him. And one guy, the guy who's ranked number one, has never beaten him, which I just think is like. Yeah, I think that that is interesting. What I, my opinion on it though that is that um I do think now. Granted, I don't follow Ultimate super closely, so I don't. I'm not looking at all the statistics, but I'm going to just assume the statistics are correct and they say what I'm about to say. At the end of the day, what determines the best player is like um who has the most accolades at that time for that year and so it is an interesting case because i don't think there to my knowledge there's really ever been a situation where somebody is the most prestigious player but also has a losing record versus number two but i do think it's one of the yeah, things like, where, i don't know if that has ever say, happened it's such a weird thing like you 
it'd be yeah. one thing if they kind of go back and forth and maybe it's like 70 30 right which is still pretty bad but like 70 30 is like okay i still can beat you though right like on a certain day i can beat you bro he's never won and he's and if you watch yeah. their games it actually looks like fucking bring your child to work day it's bad their games are it's interesting their games are but bad. like i think if for whatever reason you know if fraser and johnny two stones if they you know were playing Yu-Gi-Oh. And, you know, Johnny Two Stones was the number one player in the world. He had, he, like, in 2023, he won seven YCSs. Yeah. And Frazier won three. But every single time Frazier and Johnny Two Stones played, Frazier beat him. And, like, Frazier never loses to this guy. I would still say Johnny Two Stones is the better player or, you know, whatever. I'm just making shit up. Yeah, I kind of agree those things. I, I, I agree with that. I agree that, like, if you've done better overall, because at the end of the day, it's not a head-to-head ranking yeah even though that factors into it but it's, it's not it's not a head-to-head ranking because if it was then spargo would be the number one player if the if it was uh heavily weighted on one v one and that's an important thing because there's times when this happens where like you might beat somebody and this happens weirdly where you might beat somebody better than you right and then you'll start saying like i'm like i'm the shit like yeah, I'm, better I'm better than, better this than person than, or exactly whatever. i'm better than that person yeah and it's like just because you beat that person, like you went to a tournament and you happen to beat that, like you just went to a tournament and somehow you beat fucking, Whoever. I, I don't know, Joshua Schmidt, yeah. right? That doesn't mean you're better than him now. Like that doesn't mean, it doesn't even mean you're, because there's a, the other thing that people say that I don't agree with. Like if you win a tournament, some people might say that like you were the best player in the world that day. And I don't agree with that either. Like you're, yeah, that's also just I get true. it, you won the tournament. You're not the best player in the world that day. You Even if you beat somebody better than you, like at the end of the day, there's more numbers you have to look at. The head to head, the fact that you beat this one person doesn't mean you're better than that person. You can lose to that person, or that person can lose to you consistently. That still doesn't even mean you're better than them. That means that you are better versus them strictly head to head, 1v1. You have a winning record. But overall, if every time you enter a tournament, you crap out at ninth and they're getting second and third you're not better than them at the game or whatever yeah i i tend to agree with that logic is like Akola performs better than spargo on a tournament basis he just literally can't beat spargo so if though it's crazy though they're one and two though because like i know in my head at that point and this is why it's interesting right because at that point if we're that close so if the rating for Akola is 99 then and a rating for spargo is 98.9 then it's like if we have to do some kind of tiebreaker or whatever over that point one or whatever, I kind of want to say either you say that they're they're both number one, like they're both ranked number one, or Spargo gets it because of the fact that he is so fucking close. Like I just think that if we're so close and you've never beaten somebody, that should count for something. Is in a special think, in a special case. Yeah, I think looking at this, and I don't know the numbers. I think you would have to real because when you're determining who's number one. In general, if you look at it in in a situation where it's like, okay, they attended this many super majors and they have this many placements in this yeah, position, wins right? And all that, yeah. And that all makes sense mathematically. But I do think at the end of the day, there there can be a human element, and maybe not. Maybe some people just want a strict numbers, and this is what it is. However, in in a case like this, I, you could look at it and say, okay, how many tournaments did this person win? Where both him and the other person were in attendance right because if i've never beaten this guy and i'm i'm supposed to be ranked higher than him now we have to go okay well how many tournaments did we both show up to and obviously i didn't encounter him because like i've never beaten him but he was still there and he lost to somebody i beat because i think now we have to look at like how many tournaments did we both attend 
where I came out on top, even though we know that I never beat you. We were both here. We both were fighting the same competition of people on this day. And I won the tournament and you lost the tournament, even though and we just never faced each other. Yep. I think you have to look at those and value those in a certain light because it's like, how many times were we in the exact same environment and you just didn't make it to the top? Yeah, because here's the truth. Here's the, And this is where it starts to get like a little messy because um, I clearly have a bias. I'm not going to lie about that. Uh, and you can almost kind of hear it in the way I speak. But Akola's won a lot of tournaments that Spargo is not at. And just, that's interesting. Just, that's interesting. Just a fact. And when uh, when Spargo traveled to Japan to play in their biggest tournament, Kagaribi, he beat that man's ass in grand so, finals 6-0 or whatever. You know, because like Akola was undefeated, I believe. And I think that Akola, yeah, I'm pretty sure Akola was in winner side grand finals. Spargo was in losers because Spargo can lose to somebody else in top 10. Um, but when it came to the grand finals and it was those two against each other, Akola cried. Like, actually. Okay. This is very interesting. A similar-ish thing has happened in Melee. Uh-oh. Um, a, a little, so Spillity. I want to say, I think it was last year. I, I forget which ranking it was, but one of the rankings, and I'm going to, I'm not going to get this completely perfect. But yeah. I, I'm, this is the I'm their podcast. You yeah. know, you're not getting a hundred percent check information. Exactly. We paraphrase. Okay. Yeah. But we do what we can. I'm in the ballpark. You can double check me. What I'm saying is mostly true. And I might get something a little wrong, but yeah. one of the rankings, I think it was, might've been for 2023. I don't remember, but Mango ended up being ranked like. I think under Leffen on one of these rankings or while they were talking about it, people were ranking Leffen higher than Mango. And during the the period of time that they were judging, Leffen had only gone to like two tournaments and he did really, he got like second, he like won one of them or something and got yeah. like second or third in another one. But he did absurdly well in like two or three tournaments, but that's it. He didn't enter any other tournament. So in like two or three tournaments, he did really, really well. Whereas Mango entered like 20 tournaments and of those, he had a bunch like, 15 of them he was in top eight top four um and then like in three of them he like got 12th or something or like 13th yeah and they took the fact that he got these really low placements and they lowered his overall rating and one the, one of the arguments was like left and entered it's not fair that left and entered two tournaments and then you're saying like oh he's fucking number three because like he only did it twice like he didn't enter enough tournaments right and then like you're you're essentially punishing mango for entering more tournaments because yep. at some point this came up it, as well this came this should have just stopped if up. he just stopped entering tournaments he would have been ranked higher right and your, so your, that i forget the term for what you're describing but that also happens with edison ladder before uh dueling book got involved so edison ladder used to be maintained on edisonformat.com i believe like the server the discord server and so the way the rankings will work is people who would get the top 10 somebody made a video about this because i didn't even know about this the elo thing the whole okay, like yeah. how elo works they were saying that the way the edison ladder operates is once you're in the top 10 you should not take any more matches because so because taking more matches has a negative it, it can only really hurt you once you get to that point so you kind of like want to get to the top 10, like grind till you get there, right? Because you're good enough to get there. You grind till you get there. But then when you do get there, I think it was Carpath who had a video talking about this. He was talking about just like, I forget the term. It's not sandbagging. It's something else. But you're, it's, it's like camping. It's like called yeah. elo, elo camping. I think is what the, I think is what the term was called, like elo camping. So you get to the top and then you just like stop playing people. So that that way, because your elo doesn't get negatively, negatively affected as much by not playing as it does if you were to play and lose. Yeah. So you just kind of like, okay, I'm up here now. I'm in top 10. It's going to take a very long time for my inactivity to drop me from the top 10. Like inactivity yeah. will scale so much shorter then losing to someone if you take a match and it's like oh fuck i just lost to somebody who's like ranked 35 
and I'm number five, that's just like risky business. But if I just don't play, I will very, very slowly drop out of the top 10. And that's kind of like what you that's do. That's very unhealthy, I think, for the, for the, for the game because you're, you're now rewarding player, players for not going to tournaments. And at the end of the day, you want them to go to tournaments. So you don't want to be rewarded for not going. And Mango had, like a, in my opinion, a pretty cool solution to this. Whether or, you know, whether or not you could argue it's perfect, I think it's a cool solution and a version of this should be considered where he was basically being like, okay, you can enter however many tournaments you want. But at some point, when it comes to the rankings, you take everybody's like top five performances. Yep, there you go. You take their everybody's top five performance or everybody's top ten performances, and you need to have at least five x amount. Like, yeah, like, you need to have at least to x ranked, amount to even be considered. So, like if you have you, less than this amount, you can't be considered. Do you know in the NBA, Joel Embiid just got disqualified for MVP because he missed too many games? So. Mm. One of the biggest organizations for competitive sports has a thing in place that they've always had in place, basically, that says in order to be MVP, you do need to play a certain number of games in a regular season. That's just how yeah. it works. Because in order to be the most valuable player, you have need to, needed to bring the most value to the fucking game. Like, you can't be the most valuable player and you're not there. Yeah, so people were really upset about this, but then it came out that the reason why he's been missing so many games because he, he has to get surgery on his foot. Or, um, so that's the real reason, but at the end of the day, rules are rules, and that's just how it is. Like, you need to be there this, um, this amount of times. And so the same thing should be true. Like, I think Mango Solution is a better... It's a better... Um, it's a better way to do it than just taking the overall picture. If somebody wins two tournaments and never goes to another tournament, they're not incentivized to go to another tournament if the rankings is going to see them as number one for just winning two yeah. tournaments and never going again. They ELO camp. Like, they just fucking camp. And be like, I'm not going to anything else. I want two tournaments. I can only go down from there. Like, I can only go down <laughs> yeah. from winning two tournaments. Like, Kenny, it can only get worse. It can it, only get worse. Either I'm like... going to win again or it's going to be worse. So, like, I might as well fucking ELO camp. And you know what's funny? Mars... Mars is more of a content creator now. He's a Smash Ultimate player, plays Zero Suit Samus. Mars is more of a content creator now, and uh, he hasn't been for the last, like, two years or so. He beat... He's the only person who stopped Leo from winning Genesis. Gen Mega, uh, Le MK Leo has won, like, six Genesis, and the only one he did not win was the one where Mars beat him, right? Mm -hmm. So that's, like, Mars' biggest tournament ever. Like, he beat Leo in Grand Finals and all that good stuff. Um, and then he kind of, like, stopped playing Smash competitively because mental health and just, like... The game kind of started to suck because of the fighter pass characters that came out, which I think everyone who plays Special Ultimate kind of agrees with. Like, they're really annoying. Uh, yeah. But recently, he was ranked in the, like, top 25 or top 30 of all players in the world, and he only went to, like, two tournaments. Now, here's the thing, though. At the tournaments that he went to, he beat, like, two really good players, and then those players kept doing really well so what ends up happening is they carry his ranking upwards and he's yeah. not playing he's not losing anymore so he ends up in like top 25 top 30 without really playing the game and yeah and he was even poking fun at it like i don't even really play but i've been to like two or three tournaments in the entire fucking year and because the people who i've beaten like light and him are rivals they they are they're from the same area i think like the boston area they've been rivals since they were kids and they're they're still like rivals now, even though Light is like literally top five. The 2023 ranking came out. He's like top five player in the world. And uh Mars just kind of like doesn't play anymore. But because they're so good at playing against each other, because it's like me and McCabe, we know each other's tells, we know each other how so I can beat you better than like even Leo could beat you because I just I grew yeah. up with you. So Mars, what I'm saying is that Mars can beat the fifth best player in the world because he knows him so well. And then he could just stop playing and let Light go on to win tournaments and get 
fucking yeah. high placements and he gets, he gets carried up because the person who he beat is doing so well. And when, when a top 10 list came out, one of the things they show you is what is X player's record against the top 10? So it'll literally say Tweak is 14 and 21 against the top 10. Like Tweak is top yeah. 10, but his record against the rest of the top 10 is 14 and 21, which is like, oh, that's kind of like, uh, that's not that good. And then you'll see like light, light is like 21 and 13 against the top 10. And then Spargo's like fucking 24 and three or some shit, like just some yeah, really dumb number. Uh, that's but, really interesting because I, I don't know. It's I, now I don't follow Smash Ultimate, but and maybe I just because Frazier is presenting this in a biased way, as he's already said, but. I do lean toward maybe Spargo is actually number one. Because, <laughs> a lot of people are saying that they think he's actually but, number one. Because <laughs> I do think it's important to take into consideration, like, I don't think it's enough to just look at the numbers and to put a system in place. Because, for example, you have a situation where Mars enters two tournaments, yeah. and he's considered top 25, and he hasn't done anything. He he's like, I haven't done anything to deserve this. Like, I don't understand how I'm this high, but it's because I literally beat you. Like, it's yeah, because and it's I like, granted... Sure, he really is a really good player. Yeah, Mars is broken. But you but have he didn't to compete. like, like, bro, you didn't compete. Yeah, you have to be. You have to prove it. You have to be able to prove it. And I think number one, you have to have entered a certain number of events, whatever it is the community decides, whether it's five or ten, whatever it may be. Yeah. And then if you enter a hundred events or if you enter fifteen, whatever it is, they just take your top ten performances. Yep. And then like they can like they'll compare those out. And then if you do that and you look at Spargo and Akola, and you take their top 10 performance and you go, wow, like they both, they have 10 first places or whatever. Yep. And then, you know, whatever you may be. And then, then you, you might basically, if every, all things are considered and then you compare like, okay, blah, blah, blah. And it all gets ironed out. You might come out with a slightly more accurate thing. Cause I do feel like if you're the number two, in my previous example, I was saying like, if you're the, if you always get ninth place, you always beat this guy, but this guy always gets second place. There's something about it that makes us like you just can't quite make it. And so overall, he's just a better player than you. Right. There's something that you're not doing to make it make it past that hurdle. And for whatever reason, you're able to beat this one guy. But overall, you can't make it to the top. That said, if this is happening with second and first place, that's really weird. Because there's that's, no gap that's, between the two people. That's what I'm saying. Like it, it, we were talking about somebody who genuinely is like ninth to first. And the ninth place guy beats the first place guy all the time. That doesn't mean much to me. It's the fact that it's the guy who's literally right there and you never, ever beat him. Because that tells me. And it's funny because I came to this conclusion without you because you didn't really say you didn't say this. But I my brain was going and I was like, well, how many tournaments did they both enter? Because if he never loses to this guy, then how often were they in the same tournament? And yeah, Colo doesn't. It's very hard for Colo to win a tournament that Spargo's at. That's all I'm going to say. It's very, very That's... hard. Especially, it's even harder. So it's very hard for them to win a tournament that Spargo is just at. It's extremely hard if they end up playing each other because he's guaranteed to go into loser's bracket from that point or be eliminated, right? Yeah. So no matter what, whenever they do play in tournament, I'm pretty sure that every time they've played in tournament, Spargo has taken that tournament and Akola has not won that tournament. If they've actually like crossed each other's paths, you guys have played each other yeah, at yeah, some yeah. point. Every time Spargo's, because he's never lost to him. So every time Spargo has made it to Akola, he's beaten him. Every single time. So yeah, it's really hard to win a tournament when, oh God, this guy's in my fucking bracket and he if made those it. those are the stats, if those are the stats, right? What you have to do for me is like, you would have to show me, okay, you got to show me 10 tournaments where both of these people show up at. And so we already know that a cola doesn't win if they're, if they fight each other, right? Yeah. So are there 10 tournaments where they both show up? Obviously they don't play each other and a cola wins the tournament. Spargo's there 
but he wasn't able. You get what I'm saying? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You guys are exactly both at this tournament. You're in the same pool of competition on this day. This happens over the course of 10 tournaments. And in all these tournaments, you're both there. You're just not able to cut it. You lost the people that I beat and blah, blah, blah. I won these 10 tournaments. And I would leave. I'm being led to believe that that hasn't happened. You know, you know why it's not like that. And you, you could tell because Spargo's in rank number two. So clearly, yeah. like if, if he's ranked number two, that that means that he's getting to the top of the mountain more than yes. he's not right that yes. it just it but just by your metric by their metric that's what that's what made that's what because we're ha- when we're having this because co- you didn't have to say any of this my brain started going I was yeah like, it's not adding up yeah like here. if you think about it kenny just use their metric like okay yeah you're saying that this is the number two player in the world all right well that means that he must be getting to the top of the mountain very very often and he never lost to this guy who's ranked number one and they play each other often obviously because they both go so deep so it just it's an interesting thing i don't have all it is, the numbers. that is very interesting it's yeah i just think it's and this is what a lot of people a lot of podcasters big e like mars a lot of people talk about this leo sonics when they have these conversations tweak talks when they have these conversations they all the conversation always comes up like who you got a cole or spargo and a lot of them are like i do think that spargo is the better player. I genuinely think yeah. that he is the better player. I think that he is better. They said, like, when you play against Spargo, the feeling that you get is like, I'm playing the best, I'm playing against the best player in the world. This is a descendant of Leo. They come from the same region. Spargo is very clearly inspired by Leo. He only uses sorties. Like, everything about Spargo is like the ride from the actual goat. Like, everyone considers like Leo is the goat of ultimate. And Spargo is literally like, young better leo at this point he is literally just like a better version and the feeling you get when you play against him is not like he's being carried it's like his fundamentals are just better than yours his speed mm-hmm. is better than yours his reaction time is better than yours they said when you play against uh cola you can tell that he's like good at the game obviously but he's also just using fucking steve and mm. what's interesting is that for some strange reason when he plays against uh spargo now he doesn't use Steve anymore. He's tried mm. Donkey Kong. He's tried Pyramithra. And I'm going to be honest, it's Kenny. Crisis. The number, the number of four smashes that Akola throws out playing Pyramithra that like Spargo is nowhere near them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's just desperate. It looks like amateur night, though. Yeah, yeah. Like, bro, I'm not going to lie. I am, I am not a hater. I'm nobody's hater. But some of these games are embarrassing. Like, I kid you not. Yeah, no. To be the number that's... one player in the world. Imagine Mango, like fumbling like just like you just yeah, watch yeah. mango just start like like he just starts throwing like i'm trying to kill you because i'm i'm getting three stocked like literally spargo will be three stocking his pyramithra and he'll just start throwing he'll switch to pyramid start throwing off forward smash. but like it's like those new forward smashes that like any like i would do that right like yeah shit that, shit that like i would do like oh you're you're at 130 i'm throwing out a forward smash because you're at 130 i'm just hoping i'm swinging yeah yeah that, that's really interesting when you kind of break it all down i think that there might be a little bit of i i think that this is one of those cases. This is a really good case to debunk something that people often love to say. Uh, people love to say men lie, women lie, numbers don't. Yeah. And I disagree. I yeah, think no, numbers can, make, can, can lie. Make numbers like, lie. They for sure can lie. And I think this is a, a case where it's not enough to just look at. Okay, so for example, um, in the NBA, or or fucking take whatever professional sport you want. I don't give a fuck what it is. Yeah, football, whatever it may be. You can have a horrible record throughout the entire season. At the end of the day, there is one titular final game, final tournament, final moment where like, this is what it is. This is, if you made it here, no matter how bad you did all year, you made it here and you won. And this makes you champion for the year. Like this is a crown. Right. I'm not saying that that's necessarily the best way to do it either, but it is interesting that like, it's just one of those things where it's, what am I trying to say? It's like, look, for example, in a lot of fighting games, it's Evo. 
there's all these major tournaments, but at the end of the day, like if you win Evo, you're considered like our champion for the year. Yeah. Like, you are the Evo, Evo like champion. The, it's like you the are, world. Yeah, like you're our champion for the year. And I do I do like having something like that because I do think this is a weird situation where it's like you're ranked better than me just because you happen to get more tournaments or whatever it may be, whatever the math made out to be. However, whenever you and me are in the same room and not just like in the same basement and we're playing friendlies, we're in the same stadium and we play and we're in the tournament. You don't win. Like you may you win every tournament you enter unless I'm there. That means that you're probably not better than me. Yeah. And I'm not going to say, just to be clear, it's not like Spargo, or it's not, I'm sorry, it's not like Akola has never won a tournament that Spargo has attended because sometimes. Yeah, yeah, Spargo, I'm, sure, I'm 100% sure that's happened. Right. Yeah. Spargo has definitely lost a tournament that Akola has attended because he's lost to someone else. Whereas, yeah. you know, so that that obviously has happened. I don't know how many times it's happened. It's definitely not a lot, though, because, again, just using the fact that he's number two, you know that he doesn't lose. Spargo doesn't lose very often. Let's be clear yeah. about that. To be number two, you have to not lose really almost at all because the cola doesn't lose really. I think a cola only really loses to Spargo, honestly, and Mia now. Yeah. Like Mia has been checking him lately too. But for the most part, a cola and Spargo only lose to like one other person, right? Like one of her, like Tweak will be fucking Spargo up because Diddy has a naturally good matchup against Clow. And mm-hmm. Tweak has also always been a top 10 player in Smash World. Like, he's never fallen out. He's, he's in fact, yeah, yeah. I think that... Tweak is incredible. Tweak actually popped this shit on Tweak Talks the other day where um, he got really upset about... So he wants... Tweak is the, the winner of the last Super Major in in um, Smash. Like, right now, as of right now, today's day, Tweak is the last winner of a Super Major. And he said that he felt like he was a little disrespected by people who, like, just, like, made memes out of him because he, like, rages and stuff like that. And he went off and he was like, I'm the only player from Smash 4 to right now who has literally what did he say like or no i think he said in smash ultimate i'm the only player to have won a super major in all, every year that the game has been out like mm-hmm. literally since 2018 to 2024 i'm the only player or i think it was the 2023 at the time because 2024 just started but i think yeah. he was like he was like from 2020 from 2018 to 2023 i'm the only person out of everyone who's ever played this game who has won a super major in every single year and they just started like going down these accolades and like these things from smash 4 to now and when he started listing them up, i was like yo and everyone got like really like, quiet. y'all are fucking sleeping on yes like, he y'all need like, to relax he was like let's be clear here i know that i can be like pretty humble and like i've been playing second fiddle to leo a lot you know for most of my career or whatever which is like Leo's very, 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 very fucking talented. So, like, sure. But he's like, do not think that I'm, like, some fucking, you know, slouch here. Like, I'm literally one of the best players who ever touched this game. I just don't say it to you guys because you guys don't even realize some of the stats. So I just love, like, when people pop their shit. But Spargo needs to pop his shit is what I'm saying. Like, Spargo needs to be like, bro, this man has never beaten me. Like, it would be a contest if this man has beaten me once. Bro gets exposed. He switches to Donkey Kong and Pirate Mithra, and he starts throwing out four smashes. He doesn't know how to play the game. He's carried by fucking Steve. I would just start going in. I'll be like, this guy's carried. I don't give a fuck. Y'all gonna hate me or y'all gonna love me. I don't care. Twitter, y'all can say what y'all want. He's fucking carried by Steve. He literally cannot beat me, bro. Like, number one can't beat me. And we played head-to-head like 10 times. He's never beat me. Like that's terrible. I'm, he's yeah. he's zero ten against me. That's such a weird thing, right? Because historically, that I don't think there's ever been a situation like that. Like in melee, when it was when number one and two was Mango and Armada, and it went back and forth between the two of them. One year was Armada, one year was Mango, etc. At the end of the day, they were one and two, and every grand finals was them. Yeah. Like every grand finals was them. So it's like whoever was one or two that year 
that was one and two, like yeah. period. There was like, no yeah, debate because like, it, like that's who it was. Really, yeah, I totally get that. It's it's a it's a complicated argument ultimately only because a couple things that play a factor into it, and uh, one of the big factors that people don't like to talk about because they feel like it starts to get messy. And I don't know why Smash players are so scared to confront this, but like a cola is carried by Steve. Fact, like people don't want to. They try not to like talk about it. Some people do say it. Obviously, like when they're like Mars, they asked Mars and he was like, yeah, I do think he's carried. Like, I fucking think he's carried. Like, yes, he's fucking carried. Like the kid is carried. Like he's good at the game, but he is nowhere near as good as the character. He's blatantly carried. And you can see it when he switches to another character. And he used to be a Luigi main before then. We didn't know who the fuck he was. And then Steve comes out, who's the best character in the game. And nobody will ever did like no one will ever disagree. Steve is the number one character in Smash Ultimate. He breaks the game in a way that is literally banned. Like they said, stages get banned because of the things that this character creates on the stage. And it's not to the point where people want him banned like they did a year ago, where like everybody was like saying, ban this character. People are like, we can beat him. It's just really, really unfortunate how skewed the matchups are because he doesn't have a losing matchup. I he do is- wonder... Go ahead. Now, this... I don't follow it, blah, blah, but I do wonder if there's a chance, though, there's a little bit of fraudulent activity happening where maybe Steve isn't as good... Because, like, if we have... Pr- like, or maybe Sparkos is just that nice. But if you have a person who just every time he fights you and you're the best player in the world or second best, whatever it may be, and you're using what people deem to be the best character and he fucking baby walks you, then like, is there something to learn about dealing with Steve? If like, I'm making you switch off of him, like I'm making you put him away. Like, is yeah. there something to learn about well, that? Like, is there something, the last, like can the, the community step up and be like, well, they have, okay, there's it, something no, I got to do. That's what, that's what's happened the last year. Akola has been being, I don't think Akola. So to be clear, I think in 2024, Akola would not be ranked number one, because if you looked at the okay. second half of 2023, the second half of 2023 got really dark. Um, he started losing to Mia. Mia used to be second every time to him. And then they found out like, oh, Game & Watch, a B, just goes through cart, like minecart. And there's this one particular grand finals where Mia beat, is the first time he beat Akola, but he beat him bad. And he rushed him down. He didn't let him mine at all. Like he just straight up ran at him at every instance, which people have been t- saying like, you can't really run at uh, Steve because the interactions are always skewed in his favor. Like everything is risk reward averse for you. If you run it on Steve, you have you kind of just have to like let him camp or whatever. So lately, like Mia and Spargo, the two people who have been beating uh, Cola lately, they have been rushing him the fuck down. Like Spargo runs up to him and starts back airing the blocks and just back airing constantly while he's trying to mine. So you have to stop now because like I back air twice, yeah, the bricks yeah. are gone. I'm in your face. And Mia has been spamming up B like nobody's business to the point where it's like, bro, that move is invincible. It starts at frame three. You can try to mine if you want to, but the second I hit you and you're in disadvantage, Steve getting out of disadvantage is actually really difficult. So like they've been exposing problems with the character that certain characters, the problem is the game is 86 characters, right? But those two characters, uh, Cloud being one of the best sorties in the game, if not the actual best sortie in the entire game, Cloud with his big ass sword and uh, Akola with his frame three invincible up B have been like making the difference. So they they have been exposing like Akola and the character a lot more. And so other people have been getting very, very close to beating him. Yeah, that's interesting. I feel like if Cloud can do it, I feel like Roy should be it. Like I f- you can't I feel I can't be convinced that Roy can't rush down Steve. Yeah. Roy's fucking I, fast. I think that okay. So while I see what you're saying, I think one of the problems with Roy is the same problem he has with um with Kazia. Running at Steve, running at Kazia like in theory could work. The problem is his sword is so fucking bad. If it's not blatantly unspaced, like you kind of have to not space with where to get full value. And cloud 
That is true. Cloud Sword has is, a big stick. Cloud like Sword big, is so big, Kenny, and also Cloud's frame data, unlike yeah. Sephiroth, because arguably Tweak was trying to get it done with Sephiroth. And if you, uh, for some more yeah, smash, Sephiroth, a lot slower than Cloud. It's much slower. And so the finals of the last summit ever was Tweak versus Akola. More proof that like Tweak is ridiculous, but Tweak playing Sephiroth and Diddy, but mainly Sephiroth because he had to go through Big D who plays Ice Climbers. Uh, Tweak was playing Sephiroth versus Akola, and he took a couple games off of Akola, but. Uh, Sweek was in winner side, Akola was in loser side, and Akola basically won the two sets with Steve. And it was like, yeah, in theory, Sephiroth is the same as Cloud in a way where they both have big ass swords and like they can pressure from a distance. But the frame data of how fast Cloud can throw out back airs and just auto cancel landing those fucking things and just his his frame data in general is just ridiculous. If Krom's up B wasn't horrible, I think he'd be a problem, man. Yeah, because Krom is Roy. But his sword doesn't suck. Yes, and his frame date is nuts also. Krom's frame date is yeah, scary. Krom is so fucking good, but his yeah. up B is so bad. It's yep. so easy to gimp him. But I wonder, like, is Luke... Especially with that character, too. Akola just puts blocks and you can't come back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I wonder, like, if Lucina could do it. Like, I don't know how good Lucina's been. I haven't been keeping up with the meta, but I, I feel like it, look, Lucina's pretty fast. And she's, she's her good. sword's really Total good. Like, I feel like a summit with Lucina. Yeah. I, dude. I remember, I don't remember, I saw, a, there was a one year while I was watching a couple more Ultimate Tournaments, and Proto Banham, he's the Lucina. Yes, I was like, oh so my god, she's so, Kenny, he makes it look like she's top 10. Dude, it, the way he was moving with her, it looks like melee. so fast. Like the wave landings like, and everything oh, on the platforms shit. and shit, he yes. makes it look like he's playing melee, I, I, so, I kid you not. When I see that, when I see that guy, that character move like that, I'm like, I, I just, I can't believe that you could then say like, oh, well, she's not, she can't aggress. Like, I feel like there's no way, like there's got to be a way she can go in yeah. and like pressure Steve so he can't just camp for free. Like that, like that just sounds like we're giving up. Like, what are we doing here? Yeah, no, but people have gotten a lot better at the Steve matchup. And so that's the reason why I think that in 2024, when it's all said and done, I do not think Akola will be the number one player. I think it will either be Spargo or Mia. Uh, I think that those two people have developed the metas for their character to an extent that is like ridiculous, especially like Game & Watch has just... You know, it's, it's crazy. Like, Game & Watch... <laughs> Game & Watch has always been what he is right now in 2024. He's he's considered now top five uh, characters. And it's, yeah. like, by every metric, top five. Like, nobody... every Everybody... Everyone's been releasing tier lists in the last, like, month or so. And every single one of them was like, yeah, this character, we all slept. Like, we were asleep. He didn't even get buffs. He's just always been this, and we didn't know. Like, he's always been... If you... Like, Diddy people got were, buffed to be top... respect on his name. Diddy got buffed to be top ten through the pandemic. Like, Diddy was not a good character, really. He had a terrible recovery, if you remember, at the beginning of Smash Ultimate. His backpack just didn't go anywhere. Um, and a lot yeah. of his moves just did not work. You fell out of up smash because it's a multi-hit move. And ulti- multi-hit moves in Smash Ultimate at first just were, like, kind of bad. Um, they buffed, like, five or six things on Diddy to make him playable. They buffed Cloud's recovery during the pandemic. Like, a lot of characters got buffed, and then they became, you know what's like... funny? What this means, because Game & Watch, the community viewed, it, viewed him as bad, right? Um, and thus, that probably means he wasn't played that often. And didn't do it was just well one in person. It was Meister. It was just Meister. Meister was ranked like top ten for a while, and he was the only Game and Watch player. But people thought that like, eh, Game and Watch is okay. Yeah, but I, I think it's funny. Now this could probably not be true, but in a weird way, you could say like, damn, like Sakurai, Sakurai knew, like Sakurai knew game because like he didn't buff him, like he buffed Diddy. Yeah, he, Sakurai he did buffed all buff, these. Up, he did not buff but, Game Watch. Enough. But he didn't buff. So like Sakurai was telling y'all like he wasn't buffing him. For, like it's so funny. Because if you go back and watch videos, right, there's probably so many videos of people reacting to patch notes and being like, oh, my God, like, they didn't buff my character again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're, like, freaking out. 
And it's like all this time, Sakurai's like, I don't need to buff your character. Like, go play him. Yeah, He's go good. play him. Yeah, <laughs> your character does have some broken, broken shit. But yeah, it's funny that Game of Watch is one of the, the main standouts in the last, you know, year because now Mia is ranked, I think, number four in the world. Yeah, he's number four because it's like Akola, Spargo, uh, Sonics, then Mia, or it's Mia, then Sonic. So it's the, they call them the four horsemen, but those four, those are the top four players. I just know Akola, Spargo, number one and two. And then yeah, Sonics yeah, yeah. and uh, Mia are numbers three and four. Don't know which order, but uh, Game & Watch, Sonic, Cloud, and Steve. Okay, so ten. just real quick, I don't keep up with Smash Ultimate. I don't know any of those people. Like, I don't know their personalities. Like, you know, I don't like them for whatever reason. Uh, you know, like, I, I'm a fan of Mango. I enjoy his personality, his playstyle, et cetera. I don't know anything about these four people. But let me just say I also know everything about them. Because I only like one of those people based on who they play. All right? Yes. Steve, Sonic, and Game & Watch. I just want to say right now, <laughs> the three of y'all are not. That, like, y'all are so corny. That, this is and this The is, only person in this group that I can be a fan of is the one that plays Cloud. All there right? you go. And now you know why I'm the way I I like the Diddy player, because if you see what it takes to play Diddy, if you see what Tweak has to do to do the shit that he does, the amount of like the tech level of what he's doing is is equivalent to Smash Melee. That's how ridiculous the yeah, fucking yeah, yeah. the tech it's like with Peach, right? Like Peach yes. is super high technical. Yes. The but reason why there aren't a bunch so of Peaches. She's so hard to play. Yeah, because yep. she's so hard to play. Yeah. It's, it's, Peach is probably up there too, but Peach, nobody. Peach, there people hasn't been somebody that's sat down. Yeah, somebody hasn't sat down yet. Somebody well, else, Fargo or a Cole. Is we or, have Mudeace. And, and yeah, yeah. Mudeace is like top 20. I remember 20. him. Uh, Mudeace is top obviously, 20. Obviously, he hasn't done, he hasn't broken the ceiling yet. Yeah, he has, he's he never been to be. a top. He's never been a top ten. But Peach is considered by a lot of people to be a top ten character in the game because she can yeah. zero to death you. Uh, and there's nothing that any character can do about it. like the turn up bullshit they could do. She just like keep dropping it and float cancel bullshit. It looks glitchy, but she can zero to death you. And Mutace actually can do it. He did it on Spargo one tournament last two months ago. Now it was in December, um, but he like zero to death Spargo. Spargo was winning the whole match. And then Spargo got to his last stock, and Zero just like got hit one time and fucking got killed. And they were like, That's yo, awesome. the fact that that is a thing that can be done, like, sure, it's hard to do and it doesn't happen every game. The fact that the, a peak human could do it regularly, like a kid, there's going to be a kid, because this, this is what will happen. It'll be a kid, because it's always mm-hmm. a kid who, who's mm-hmm. better than like the older generation. So a kid will play Peach from the start, and they will learn that tech. And that yep. should be second nature to that kid. And their fingers won't hurt. They won't have the arthritis that fucking Mutes. He complains about his hands. He's basically like our modern V2 King right now. Um, Gluten yeah, yeah. and, and Mutes both have hand problems now. And so like, you know, like there's going to be a kid that just picks up Peach if Smash Ultimate stays around for a couple more years. And that kid's just going to be like, oh yeah, Peach is actually like top three and not not number three or some shit. Yeah, no, that's that's cool. I would love, I, I hope that happens because there's a chance that like a new Smash game comes out before that happens and everybody moves on. But that story does exist where, like, a kid, a fucking 16, 17-year-old picks up Peach and is, like, he has the mindset of, like, well, this is just the best character. Like, yes. I, I hit you. Because, like, it does always take somebody. It, it takes a degenerate to be, like, wait a minute. Like, it takes, like, like a fucking that's Silverman happened. or someone. That's what it takes Sonic. a degenerate to be, like, wait a minute. Like, I hit you at zero and I kill you. Like, yeah. What do you mean I'm not the best character? Like, I just have to be able to do this. I just have to hit you at zero and kill yep. you. Yep, like, and people mean? might be like, well, it's too hard to do. It was like, no, it's too hard for you. I'm going to keep trying. And eventually they get yeah. to it. Uh, so, yeah, that's you know that's what's happened with Sonic. Sonic didn't used to be considered a top 10 character in the game. Sonic is now considered literally number two. Like, it goes yeah. Steve and Sonic. Some people, and like, some people like me... Me personally, I think that Sonic is. I think personally that Sonic is the best character in Smash Ultimate. But I think that that's only if you play gay. Um, Sonic does not have to interact with anyone, and he could genuinely 
time out every single character in the game, except maybe Fox, but you could genuinely time out every character in the game, all 85 of them, not Fox, and they can't do a single thing so, about it. This is another thing that I think Smash needs to do. And I, I feel like Smash is very adverse to doing this. Um, We need like rule updates more often. I feel like we get set on whatever our rules are. Yeah. And it's like we don't the fucking the what? The Bill of Rights that we have right now, the all the amendments that we have right now, and like just the laws in the in the United States that are from like the Bill of Rights is the first ten amendments, and literally all of them are made by people who existed hundreds of years ago and don't understand anything about the modern day, right? Like those yeah. those rights are fucking terrible now. So, but we can look once again. We've been comparing it to sports, which is funny because me and Fraser don't fucking even follow sports. But when you compare it to sports throughout the history of basketball, they have changed the rules based on what the nature of the game has been. Yes. There was a point in time, I don't know the exact years, but there was a point in time where they made the three-point line shorter. They made it easier to score three-pointers. They made the three-pointers, like the three-point line closer in so it'd be easier to score three-pointers. And there's a point in time where they moved it further back yeah. because different eras of the game, they realized certain things were more or less healthy and they changed it. Like, like charging fouls and defensive fouls, like all of this shit has been updated and changed and molded over time based on the health and the nature and the state of the game. And I think overall that creates a healthier game because you're adapting it to what, I don't know, just what seems to be the most competitive at that time. For example, there didn't used to be a shot clock. I feel like this is Sonic the Hedgehog right now. There didn't used to shot clock. You could just hold the fucking ball forever. And That's you can wild. just pass it around and just pass it in like or hold and it and like, just like this hold is the ball super forever. Unhealthy. And there's no shot clock. And eventually they're like, okay, there has to be a fucking shot clock. You can't just hold the ball forever and sit on your two point lead for the rest of the fucking game. And I feel like that's what's happening with Sonic. But part of what's doing that, I don't know. I, I don't know. The, there's got to be a way to fix it though. Is I, the point yeah, I'm I don't getting know how to, to fix it either. We, gotta, we have to try. We have to try rules iterations to do. Because if you can just hit me three times and then run for the rest of the game. What are we doing? There needs to be a shot clock. Spin dash is invincible. Um, he can cancel it by jumping and down airing. No character can actually contend it or compete with it. He can run away. He's the fastest character in the game. Everyone knows that. There's nothing you could do. If Sonic's wanted to be the utmost hated person in the entire world, which at one point he was for Smash, uh, but then people started to respect him because they realized that he just he just knows how to play the character and he he can just beat you. And what he's been doing lately is winning tournaments. Like he's been fully winning super majors lately, which is why he's number four or three. Um, by just straight up approaching people with sonic and now everybody's yeah. like everyone is gagged like now people are like rescinding a lot of the mean things they said about him and saying you know he's only an online warrior bring that shit to in real life and now he's brought it to in real life and he's beating all of our faves with sonic and people are like oh shit like he's not just camping he's a he's running at people and like doing 78 off of a combo and perfectly um uh what is it called uh, edge guarding them so people have respect i, mean, I respect him. all of that yeah me too I, I used to hate I Sonic. I used to hate Sonics and Sonic because of the gay shit that I used to see him do back in the day when he used to just camp you out and just like spin dash in place yeah. and make you approach. I used to hate that. I, he used to do that. I remember being at your house one time. I don't remember when, but we were watching a Smash tournament and like every other game was a Sonic and mm -hmm. they were just like hitting and camping yep. and I was bashing my head against the wall. I yeah. hated it so much. And then there was a bunch of Robs and yeah. I hate that. I might hate that even more. Yeah, Rob is still Rob. He's still he will still rob you. But yeah, Sonic Rob. Sonic used to be not respected and uh the character used to not be considered what he is now. Now, me personally, I think that that is the best character in the game. Me and me and Stango have talked about this. Me, Gary, and Stango have had conversations about it, just like how funny it is. Because we were saying this before. Yeah, we said this so early last year 
And like this is before anyone had him this high in their tier list. Now everyone has him at number two. And I just think it's funny. Like I, I said, I said Stango one of the videos recently. I was like, yo, they're finally catching on to what we were saying earlier. Like if he yeah. wanted to, this is really the best character. Like Steve can mine and all that. It does. Steve can't, Steve has terrible um, movement speed. He can't yeah. catch. Steve actually cannot catch Sonic. So <laughs> every time they play, it could just be the worst match you've ever seen. The worst seven minutes of your life. It could be the worst seven minutes that the stream has ever watched. But Sonics is a merciful god. He decides to approach. The good thing is Sonics also just started playing a cola for the first time uh, at the end of 2023. They never played until the end of 2023. And he beat the shit out of a cola. And everybody was like, oh, my God. He three stocked them one game, two stocked them the other two games, did not lose Wait, a game. I'm so confused. I'm I'm, you're turning me into a hater, and maybe you're just maybe your bias spins are, are fucking ruining this. I'm just telling you the truth. Is this guy number one in the world, but for half because, the year he didn't play any of the other good players. So that's well, that's what's that's what's changing. The good players are starting to travel because they had so they didn't realize that they had to leave their place. Like Sonics is from Dominican Republic, Leo and them are from Mexico, and a lot of people are from the United States. Everyone was just kind of staying in their area because they thought that oh, the United States will just carry us. Because everyone has to come here. And then it shifted. So now people are literally invading Japan to go to Japan to like play. And they're getting opportunities to play against Akola more because he doesn't come here as often. So they're going there more often now. And now that Sonics has finally played them, and we know Spargo's never lost to him. Sonics has also never lost to Akola, but they've only played twice now, I think. And both times he's beaten the shot out of Akola really, really bad. Um so far Akola, Sonics, Sonics, Akola. Sonics and Akola, they just started playing at the end of 2023 for the first time. And now that they're playing each other, uh, so far, Akola's never beaten Sonics. They've played at least twice. They might have played three times. They played at least twice. And I remember the second time, Akola won one game. The first one they played, he three-owed he three him, and one of them was a three-stock. And so, like, and it wasn't on no, um, I'm playing Sonic, and I'm just being gay and camping and, like, spin-dashing in yeah, place. he just, and like, making, beat him. He, Kenny? He just beat him. He ran up on this man. And just grabbed him, did a Sonic combo that Sonic does when he grabs you, and just beat the shit. And he just never let him, like, he never let him just chill. Like, he never let him chill. kind of funny to me, though, is, like, when I heard you say earlier that some people were saying, like, you have to let him camp, that doesn't make sense to me. Like, I've never seen a game really ever where it's, like, the camp the camp character is really good, and there's nothing you can do about it. You just have to let him camp. Like, I just, I've never seen that to be true. Like, that, there's the no mindset- way... There's no way letting him camp is the answer. Like that's The mindset crazy. was, if you approach him while he's camping, you're going to get fucking ruined. You have to wait till he that's engages so with you, crazy. and you have to win. You have to win the engagements when he gives them to you, and not bring the engagements to him. Because if you nah. do, you get punished for doing that. And I think that the best way to beat him is to literally run him out of resources. Rush that motherfucker down. I don't care how bad the trades yeah. are. You, you're not going to win anyway, in my opinion. You're not going to win. If you, yeah. if you let I'm, him get the like, resources, you're not going to yeah. win. I'm so like now I'm gonna win when I let him get his diamond sword. Like yeah. no, I'm gonna I'm gonna go fight you now. I'm gonna <laughs> go fight you now while you Will have you? wood. Okay, yeah, you ain't holding nothing but wood, and I'm gonna fight you now. I'm not gonna wait. Like what sense does it make? Like oh, I just gotta wait for him to come get me. So he's gonna come get me with his diamond sword. Like excuse <laughs> and me, gold mine cart. Yeah. Fuck you. All right, I do want to let's let's. This has become something. Bro, how do we even get on this topic? I just want to say, how do we even get here? Listen, we spent like almost an hour on just Smash Ultimate somehow, and I think it's hilarious because it started out with top. What brought us there? It started out with like competitive tournaments and. Is like, it the Yu-Gi-Oh listener letter? This was the Yu-Gi-Oh listener letter. Yeah, this is the, first the one, one about about Ultimate Time Wizard. Yeah, this was. What happened? I anyway. don't know, but this is the Iron Their podcast. They know the listeners. Listen, if you guys are listening right now, you know. 
how we are. You know that this could happen on any on any episode. Do not buy into whatever you hear in the first 30 minutes because the, the end of the episode could just be anything. Like, it could just be anything. So I do want to move yeah. to the second listen. I don't know how least. that happened. We, we forced ourselves off of One Piece because we were like, this might turn into a whole One Piece <laughs> and episode. And then smash. it turned into a Smash episode. Look, what happened? <laughs> it was a Yu-Gi-Oh episode for a minute and then it just became... It just became Smash. Okay. Uh, the second listen to letters from Austin Cruz is about Kuroko's basketball. So we recently did an uh, anime episode where we cover Kuroko season one. And he says, this is one anime I've heard of, but never took the time out to watch. That's not saying I don't enjoy sports anime because I enjoy Prince of Tennis. I'm someone who enjoyed playing sports, but I couldn't stand watching them. Same as me. I usually just found it boring. Although with sports anime, it almost feels like it portrays how sports fans feel when they watch sports. You say you don't like to get together with friends to watch sports. If you count esports, I know I've definitely gotten together with friends for a Smash stream. So I want to clarify. The only time I get together with friends to watch sports is Super Bowl and maybe the NBA Finals. Those are like the two times when I will get together with a group of friends. And like, like I just watch, I just went to a Super Bowl watch party. And I was me, like five other people. And we watched the Super Bowl. We do this every year at the same person's house. His mom always cooks for us. She makes banging food. And we like watch the game. I always bring my laptop because I don't know what the fuck is going on. But I always watch. And I just enjoy the company and they, they explain things to me like, you know, like a, like a kindergartner. Um, but I don't actually enjoy the sport itself. Like, I don't really care for it. But I like the environment of my friends always. So even when I don't like Yu-Gi-Oh, some formats have been terrible. But I'll still go because it's a bunch of my friends. And it, that feels good. So uh, that's um, kind of a thing there. I To answer your, the question about I've definitely gotten together before COVID. I think I've had I've in some way, shape or form have gone to or hosted an Evo party like before COVID, like every single year. Like I would watch, like get a bunch of people together for the weekend and we would watch Evo. Uh, I remember a couple of times we had it at Fraser's house. I remember, I don't remember which Evo it was, but it was a while ago, but there was definitely a couple Evos at Fraser's house where like we got wings and pizza and we were there all weekend and watched Evo. Um, so I've definitely done like watch parties for esports, but I'm just, you know, so much more interested in them. I, I don't give a shit about regular sports. So I'm not going to go. The only time I've been to a Super Bowl party is when it was at my house because I lived with my dad. Like, that's that's it. Yeah. Super Bowl parties. They're cool. Like if you're around people that you enjoy being around, they're just like anything else where you're gathering with your friends. To me, yeah. there's just this thing that most of the people are paying attention to that you don't really care for. But like I can deal with it now. Esports, on the other hand, like Kenny mentioned, he's come to my apartment multiple times now and like we put on because smash tournaments used to happen before all the shit happened um at the end of like 2022 but smash tournaments used to happen like every weekend and mm-hmm. i would just put them on because they're just fun to watch i love seeing people compete at the highest level so i've watched many i've had many watch parties like without realizing that that's what it is for yeah. esports things uh because well, usually we're also hanging out and the, like there's been times where we're just hanging out and maybe we're playing dc deck building all day but at the same time we've got a, a tournament on all day as well and like we'll we'll take a break to eat and then we'll be watching the tournament and etc like just shit like that yeah yeah like it's not it's not with the intention of where everyone's gathering here to watch a smash tournament but we're all gathering to have fun and that just so happens to be a part of it but uh yeah prince of tennis something i might check out Uh, i do actually so when i do watch sports every once in a while like i have seen serena williams play before and for some reason, I just find tennis to be interesting a lot of the time. So um, maybe I'll check out Prince of Tennis one day. Who knows? But Kuroko's basketball is really good so far, and I plan to continue it. But we have a different plan in place for some anime stuff that you guys are going to start to see happening very soon, actually. So be on the lookout mm-hmm. for the I Am Their Podcast to start doing some some shit when it comes to anime, a way for us to actually do what you guys want. 
Okay. So this one is about Powell World. It's also from Austin. It says, it's funny that you guys said that Nikki would fit in really well with Meg and Carter because when I first heard about the beef, I thought all three of them did WAP together. Yeah, so to clarify, um, the song WAP was just Megan, The Stallion, and Cardi B. Nicki Minaj was not on that. And then he goes on to say, when you guys were talking about Power World and pretty much every MMO has bugs, reminded me of the anime uh, Shangri-La Frontier. A guy plays trash games for the glitches and bugs and decides to play a top-tier MMO without bugs. So I don't yeah, know. I've heard that anime is really good. I haven't seen it yet. It's a new anime. came out, I think, this season or last season. Oh, wow. I've heard it's really, really, really good. I haven't seen it um, yet, but um i'm interested because it's kind of in the isekai genre but instead of it being as far as i can understand it's not like somebody trapped in a video game it's literally just like a person playing a video game like it's not he's trapped in it and he's going to die or whatever (laughs) um but i've heard really good things about it which is kind of interesting so yeah i do plan on checking that anime out i haven't seen it yet though uh you want to read this next one you will talk with simo yeah, let's see. Let's see. We've got um, boom, 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 boom. So it says, as much as I love Yu-Gi-Oh! Talk, I'm ready to hear anime talk with Simo. That's what I said at the end of the Simo episode. Just by, before I read the rest of this, when I got to the end of that episode and I heard Simo ranting about JJK, I was like, oh, I need yeah, he went off. to have a conversation with this man. Anime talk. Because everybody knows Simo, the Yu-Gi-Oh! man. I need to see Simo, the anime man. I need to have that conversation with him. But anyway, continuing on. Listening to when he... Starts uh, progression series was right around when I was looking at coming back into the game, Uh, mostly because there was a new Gladiator B support announced. Between the progression series and history of Yugo, it definitely helped me catch up on lost time when I couldn't afford to play. It's been really interesting to see the cycles of competitive play, both through his videos and with me playing meta for the past few years. It's been a learning experience for sure, since I've never really played meta unless I've gotten lucky with getting the cards. Now I'm basically a core whore that will pick up any deck that looks enjoyable to me. What's what's your best advice for dealing with early rounds? That seems to be my bigger str- struggle, especially with the the yeah, especially the degeneracy you see in the early rounds. Okay, so I have been very transparent about this on the podcast. Uh, I have very bad anxiety before round one of any Yu-Gi-Oh tournament. I've always been like this, win or lose, okay? When I won YCS Atlanta and any tournament I've ever topped, I was still nervous before round one started. And I'm typically nervous like game one of round one. But I do this thing where I just take it one game at a time because that in my head, if I try to scale the whole tournament and say, you have to play 11 rounds of Swiss, then you have to play top 32. It overwhelms me. And I just like, I can't deal with that. It just makes my anxiety worse. So I literally will take one game at a time. And it helps me so, so much to just like do what you know how to do. Like if you know your deck, you you have confident in, confidence in what you're doing. You sit down, you're like, I know how my deck works. I know how to play against these matchups. Just take it literally one game at a time. If you look at it like I need to win two out of three to get to the next round, I need to do this. You're going to just get like all in your head and it gets worse, in my opinion. Like it just gets way worse. So the early rounds for me, I just sit down, you know, I get my stuff all set up, my calculator, my mat, 
my deck. I shuffle my deck up a couple times. I go through it. I always check my deck before I start playing. It's like just things that kind of like a routine for myself to calm myself down. Like I go through my 40 and sometimes you might discover like, oh shit, I actually have this accidentally in my, like in my main deck, it should be in my side deck. And you might see something like that. It could save you a game loss. I go through my 40, then I shuffle again. Then I do my, I might do a pile shuffle. Then I might just sit there, pull up my phone and scroll social media to kind of take my mind off. And then when my opponent shows up, because I'm usually the first one to my table every time when my opponent finally shows up, uh, I introduce myself no matter what. Uh, I always do that. And then I just kind of like focus on, this is weird to say, but I kind of focus on other things. Like I try not to focus on the fact that I'm about to play this game of Yu-Gi-Oh! I really start thinking about like just other stuff to not make myself get too amped up and too worked up because then I'll misplay. For whatever reason, when I focus too hard on like, you need to do this right, you need to do this perfect, my brain starts to get really fucking foggy and the plays start to seem like they're um, calculus all of a sudden. When it's like, bro, you you know how to do this. Like, you literally summon swap frog, sentry born frog, bounce to your hand and pass. Like, this is what you would do at at your house on dueling boat with Stango. Even though like Stango is a newer part of my Yu-Gi-Oh life, but like, let's just use that as an example. It's like you've done this a million times. Why are you freaking out right now? All of a sudden, like, there's mm-hmm. nothing different. Like, you've been through this exact situation. I mean, like, you you tested this. You've played this deck. You know what you're doing. Summon the swap frog. Send the tree frog. Bounce to your hand. Pass. Like, all you can do is see what he's going to do. Yes, he could have the worst case scenario. Or he could just do whatever fucking play he's going to do that might actually be perfect for what your hand is. But you can only start off by just like playing your turn the exact way that you know how to play your turn and just kind of ignore like your opponent for the most part. Like don't really think too much about who they are or who they are not or what deck they're playing and all that crazy stuff. Cause you'll start to get like so crazy. Just like play your deck the way your deck was meant to play. You came up with a game plan. I've had people, I've had people who um, develop game plans to say, I'm going to go in this turn. I'm going to go second every round. Like in the formats where going second actually has a benefit because you don't draw going first. So there were times where people would make a deck to go second. They would go second and lose, right? One round. So let's say round one, they would go second. Even though they made their deck to go second, they would go second and lose a game. And then they would start choosing to go first every time they could. Then they get eliminated from the tournament shortly after. And I'll talk to them about this. Like, why did you start going first. And it's like, well, I lost round one and I went second. I was like, yeah, but you built your deck to go second and you can't go back on something that you've basically played and studied for and constructed your deck to do. You can't turn back like that. Like Hoban actually talks about this in one of his um, articles or books. He talks about like, if you build your deck to do something, you have to stick with it regardless of if it actually wins you the game or not. Sometimes you could be right and still lose. And you have to realize that's what happened. Like, you can yeah. be like, this was the correct choice. I still lost doing it. And you can't get, like, in your head and think, oh, man, I lost because I went second. And even though I built my deck to go second, now I'm going to start going first. Well, your deck wasn't meant to go first, so now it has all these bad cards going first. So then you just lose anyway. Yeah. There, sometimes, like, what you said, what you said and he said, and we've also said it, blah, blah, blah. Sometimes you can just make whatever the best choice, the r- most correct choice for that situation is and still lose. Like, it's still... You know what I mean? Like, yeah. in this point in time, this is the best thing that you could do. And if they have whatever answer they have, they have it. Like, yeah. this is the best thing you can do. Yeah, there's nothing. There's really nothing you can do about it. It kind of sucks when it happens. Um, sometimes making the right play doesn't always get you the win. But you just have to be so sure in your conviction that I'm doing the right thing. And I feel the same thing is true, which is playing uh, the early rounds of a Yu-Gi-Oh tournament. It's like, I chose the right deck. And I'm making the right plays and I feel strong and confident in my belief that I'm doing this right and I'm playing correctly. And you that's that for me, that's what helps me in the early rounds. That is my answer. It's a long answer, but that's my answer. 
Uh, okay, so I want to wrap this up now. We do have a couple more listener letters, but we can use those for a later episode. So if yeah. you haven't heard the letter read out yet... Uh, God forbid, we might read one and then who knows what will happen. Yeah, I'm you know, scared. I might, I'm actually I might scared. just start talking. Yep. So I'm scared, but we have we have two more listener letters right now. And if you guys send in more, they'll also add up for an additional episode. But we're running this one here because this is actually I'm realizing now, like not only what time it is, where we are, but uh, we do have some other things planned. So we're just going to wrap it up there. I hope you guys did enjoy this episode, though. This was really fun. We went all over the place, but that's mm-hmm. typical. I'm their podcast shenanigans. So, OK, as for Patreon, uh, I want to give a shout out to Connie, the cult of Volvi, Leon. Ah, after 10 long years, my handless combo is complete. Xavier Swift, Hylian, Dimitri Barnes, Father Multiverse, Dom the Goat, Giovanni Avalos, Alex Flamer, Andre Reynolds, Dan Vrabel, first, uh, or not, I'm sorry, Dan Vrabel, Dennis Milburn. I've gotten so used to saying certain things in order. So it's Dan Vrabel, Dennis Milburn, first to home, Mitchell Nels, Vince Marquette, Dallas Bailey, KJ, Roz Weiss, Agents Over Tango, damn, Vincent, okay, I see how you come in, Sarah Maria, Alex Ahern, Philip Campa, Kyle Batoho, Guac is Extra, Sugal, Vicky Venemon, Elijah Barfault, and then... Tara Tadeo, Volvi the Mega Monarch, and Race Peacock, Jenner 215, Thomas Rude, Brian Moore, Ty P336 is the Soul King Baby, Gingerilla, Michael of the Illuminati and ENT Collectibles, I'm Just a Little Nasty Sometimes, Frozen Go Dojo, Auntie Did Nothing Wrong, David V, Next Tastic, B Dog 23, Felipe Glenn, Hershey Bar, Impoister, Romeo Junk Synchron Schneider, Tyler Frasher, Sasha Egger, and Daniel Anderson. Thank you guys so, so, so much. I hope you've been enjoying the early content that we've been putting on Patreon, too, because every single person whose name we just read out, you guys have access to all of the, um, was it, the progression series episodes and the podcast episodes. They all come out early, like really early sometimes uh, on Patreon. So make sure you check your emails if you're not. Uh, hopefully, hopefully you are checking your email so you know. But yeah, definitely do indulge and in the uh, For anybody else content. that wants to, you know, sign up, at some of the higher tiers to get the early content. Somebody in the Discord the other day, I was so fucking confused because they were reacting to a podcast episode that came out early on Patreon. Oh, yeah. In my head, I was like, that episode's not out yet because like it wasn't out publicly. And so the fact that he was talking about it like publicly. Was this the Slay the Spire one? Yeah, he's talking about Slay the Spire and he was... And I was like, that's just not out yet. Know about I was like, how, I was like, that's just not out yet. I was like, how does he know about that? Yeah, um, it's on Patreon. Yeah, and then I knew it was on Patreon, but I guess it was like one of these weird disconnects because, like, in yeah, my yeah, head, it was like, like, yeah, it's on Patreon, but that's private. How's he talking about it publicly? Like, I would like there was this weird disconnect in my fucking head. Yeah, it's like hilarious. smashing ground of Manju when you have a message made of it. Anyway, um, <laughs> you guys will be saying that soon too. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious! But yeah. So anyways, guys, thank you so, so much as always for helping us and supporting the I'm There podcast. And we will be bringing you a lot more cool content this year. Uh, we have this new plan that we're going to start implementing, which I think is going to be pretty dope. It's going to be a way for us to uh, essentially cover more anime and, and shows that we all grew up or loved or love currently. And I think that this idea, it could be a really, really cool thing. We're going to see how it goes the first couple times we do it, but be on the lookout for that. Um, yeah, and until next time, as always, they do the things that make you happy, including ranting with one of your best friends and just going all Hell over the yeah. goddamn place. You know, it's not on their podcast, guys. We'll catch you in the next one. Peace. Big rants, baby. Peace.
Thank you.